0: Hey everybody, Larry Lawton here for another great edition of the podcast, and I got a great, great guest. I got Roy Bedard, and his resume speaks for itself, which we're going to have up also, but I'm also going to talk to him a little bit about the case. This is about the Gregory Edwards case in Brevard County, Florida, the veteran who died in custody of the Brevard County Sheriff's. Uh, Before we get started, check us out on YouTube. Check us out on the Patreon programs and also the Action Crew. We have over eight thousand people now, uh, ready to just act and help people when they can. And I want to thank everybody for that as well. All right, here's my guest, Roy. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, you know, I was gonna sit in here and I read your resume and it's. I told you when we when we first met and we've talked before. And let me just start this by telling, Roy and I. Uh, this is not our first interaction we actually talked during when uh, Scott Israel in the uh, Broward County jail uh, not jail Broward County shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School there was an incident he ended up getting removed by the governor actually and Roy and I spoke on that case Roy is an expert witness for everybody I'm gonna go into that a little bit Roy please tell my audience a little bit about yourself
1: all right um so i have a very diverse background my background begins before law enforcement but i think most of my juice when it comes to being an expert is my law enforcement experience i was a martial artist i started off as a young man uh not only doing martial arts but being highly competitive traveling around the nation and ultimately the united states when i made the united states karate team and i uh, that's my passion it's what i've always wanted to do so i i think i got into law enforcement because i was looking for an outlet for this particular Um, uh, skill set that I had. And law enforcement, of course, is one of the few places besides bouncing, which I also did, where you actually can um, utilize physical skills and motor skills for subject control. So that was really the most rudimentary, basic reason for becoming a police officer. And and I got into it, um, consequently, because I wanted to be a trainer. And so that passion has never, has never changed. I've been a trainer since just about the day that I entered into the police academy. Um, I was actually tasked to teach my academy class very early on while I was still a recruit or a cadet. And then consequently um, was hired by the Florida State University Police Department where I was uh, a patrol officer for a couple of years, got into their training division, later became a field training officer, which meant that I had to become very familiar with uh, the application of police skills across the board. I had to know policy. I had to distribute my understanding of police skills to people who were now also coming out of the academy for the first time. Later, I went to the Tallahassee Police Department and I stayed there until 1996. And the reason that I left is because during that interim, I, I was also heavily into training, now teaching at the academy, quite often teaching at the police department, what we call in-service, in other words, training our existing officers, our incumbent officers, as well as the ones that were coming in for the first time from, from the academy. And I was developing um, Products. I was developing uh, defensive products, as you might imagine, batons, and handcuffs, and holsters, and belt systems, and then, of course, training programs, uh, defensive tactics training programs. And so I started off very early doing this, and it has taken me now uh, to a place where um, a, you know, a police officer from Tallahassee's traveled the world several times, providing training on a global scale. I've trained to not only um, local regional agencies, but I've trained state agencies, federal agencies, and I've trained international agencies. Um, And I got caught up in that and that's really all I really wanted to do I was gonna finish it out doing that and then all of a sudden I got discovered by some attorneys who I think liked my resume and so they started calling me and saying hey We've got a police issue that needs someone with your kind of experience and skill and knowledge to comment on So that was the beginning of my expert witness adventure, which now has begun probably close to 20 years ago. Um, I guess I was good at it because they kept calling me back and and subsequently I have been now involved in over 400 cases, some of them high profile, um, some of them things you would never hear about, but nonetheless the, the work is equally as important to me. Um, I've been called for a variety of use of force and defensive tactics cases. I've been called most recently for a case involving the release of video from the Brevard County Jail. Um, I've offered consulting and policy development for law enforcement agencies and I really just sort of found my niche in a, in a job that did not exist, I think, prior to me actually
0: doing it. Would it be fair to say that you work with both sides? So it's not like I'm just getting a guy who's against one department or not. Yes. You, you work for criminal defense attorneys or attorneys fighting the system, and you also work for the system. Right, so the trick to
1: being good at this is to be objective, is to actually let the facts take you to where they take you, and to make commentary and analysis and final assessment and opinion based on what those facts are, and not trying to to, to color them in some particular light that perhaps is compatible with the way I personally think. Um, and sometimes that's not easy to do. Sometimes it requires that you sleep on things and you really come to, you know, sort of calm down your emotional side in some of these issues so that the rational constructs can take over and guide you and direct you to the proper opinions. Um, and, and, of course, I went to school to um, further throughout this, this process. I went back to school for my
0: master's in PhD. I was just going to tell the audience that you actually got a master's in educational psychology and a doctorate. Uh, from Florida State University in uh, perceptional skills and human performance under stress, stuff of that nature, correct? Yes,
1: and I went back when I was in my 40s because now I had a career behind me. I was training police officers all over the world, as I said, and I was trying to do something that was more um, important. And what's important about use of force and defensive tactics isn't the blows that we throw or, or the handcuffs that we put on, but why we do those things, what actually happens in the human mind that causes us to, to use violence, and um, to what degree is violence compromised by things like stress? How come we don't perform as police officers and correctional officers and soldiers when things get really rough? Because we're not responding to the kind of training. And I noticed that as a police officer, and I thought, okay, I've got to figure this out because we're spending a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of resources trying to train police officers to do something, and then all of a sudden, when it hits the fan, they're doing something else. Why is that happening? Are they bad people?
0: Well you know uh, and this whole incident we're talking about everybody the brevard County jail veteran Gregory Edwards ended up dying in police custody uh, after an altercation and he had a we're going to get into the incident with a, a hood over he was in a restraint chair and everybody who knows me knows I can't do that I was in a restraint four-pointed it's not uh, the restraint chairs are different but it's the same concept I was in four-pointed and I tell people now I don't know if I could be cuffed right now I don't know how many people would take to cuff me because of the of the ptsd i have i have ptsd from the service but i also have ptsd from that i'm sure you in this case we're gonna go you obviously you train both you know you train law enforcement yes a big part of you know before i even start that you had me laughing about you you, you develop products and you even sell them to the bop yeah i was wondering if i've ever been in any of your products or have been in the uh Receiving end of one of your products, I whether it's a baton <laughs> and stuff. And you know, I don't look at people, I, I don't even look at the BOP in a way that, like, oh, the system. I mean, we need jails. I always tell people that. I mean, I was in a, a prison with 2,000 inmates. Out of that 2,000, 880 had life sentences. You know, USP Atlanta, I'm sure. Of course. Uh, 200 of those fight their case legally. 400 get a lover do their thing and they move on in life that's what they do and there's 200 are psychopaths that i tell people i never want to i never want to see them out because uh, obviously we're going to get into that a little bit in your psychological stuff i also also talk about on my channel is the training aspect of things and here's why I was in the military, I'm retired military. I was in the Coast Guard for eight years, got hurt in the Coast Guard, and I was very accomplished. But every day we trained, every day. If we weren't on a SAR mission or a law enforcement mission or whatever we were in the Coast Guard, we were training. I mean, every day, and the military does the same thing. Why doesn't cops do that? Two reasons. One, it's resources.
1: Money. It has to do with uh, when somebody's training, somebody's not on the street. Right, so it's going to cost money to be able to, to put it towards training. Military has a different philosophy. You're not always engaged in uh, in active theater. Um, things can be on the low down. When law enforcement officers has um, a situation in which things aren't happening, they're on patrol, okay? They're looking for things to happen. We talk about proactive policing and whether that's good or bad, but that's what law enforcement does. The second thing is injuries. You see, there's an acceptable level of injuries when you do defensive tactics. For example, when the military trains you, and you get hurt, they put you off on the sideline. When you get hurt in law enforcement, you've got workman's comp issues, you've got insurance issues, maybe you've got downtime. Now you've got short shift, and so it has training has become the necessary evil for law enforcement and corrections. They don't like doing it because the risks are too high. And I'll and I'll finish by saying, weirdly, law enforcement and corrections in a very high risk business are completely risk adverse, and it begins with training. And it's a shame, it needs to change, but you are correct, law enforcement and corrections generally don't get the amount or type of training that I think they need to do the job that they're expected to do.
0: Well, you know, you put a guy through a police academy at what, eight weeks, 12 weeks, or whatever their academies are today, Uh, you'd know of course more than I would, and all of a sudden you throw him on the street with a gun and a badge, and as I tell my audience I think law enforcement's the one job that should be held to such a high standard because you could take a person's liberty and life under the color of law and you're got the, you know, you, uh, if I did what a law enforcement officer did, I'm arrested immediately, put in jail, maybe making bond, maybe doing something, and then they figure it out. And a cop kills somebody, you don't see that. You don't see them put in handcuffs right away, even in the Greg, uh, George Floyd case. He wasn't put in handcuffs until 48 hours or whatever it was, and the video came out and everything else. So I think we ha- we should really be hiring people, I'm a big big believer in hiring the right people. Obviously uh, with your background in, in karate and in and, 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 uh, martial arts, you have that demeanor that you don't have to prove anything. A lot of times yeah, we hire young people who, you know, they were the bullied in school and they have to be the tough guy now, they got the badge, the gun. And I don't know how we could change that course of the pay. I'm a big believer in cops need to get more pay. You know, people wanted to defund the police. I said, not defund them, give them more money, but allocate it differently. Let me give you a little bit of background on that. I don't believe any little de- poli- any little police department needs a command center. I think it's a waste of money. It costs a million dollars, uh, and then they have to train on it and maintain it and everything else. And really, do we need that? Can we spend a million dollars in a lot better ways? maybe a bigger police department that can use it and loan it to the right people. So we should allocate, you know, when they were doing the defund the police, I said, no, let's not defund them. Let's reallocate the funds for training, for body cam. I'm a biggest believer in this country in body cams. One of our missions on the in in my program is to have every police department with body cams. It's, It's a shame that they have to come out from somebody else. For something to happen that's wrong we we have the technology it's cheap we can do this I mean we do it everywhere and in jails too I don't understand where there's so many dark spots because I know of them in a lot of jails though you know I call them killing zones because for inmates to kill somebody or guards to do what they're gonna do to people as well but let's get right into this Edwards case Okay. I, I asked you on because Sheriff Wayne Ivy, who's the Bavard County Sheriff in Brevard County Florida Who runs the jail and we discussed this as well i don't believe they should be running the jail i think there should be a jail administrator a person that answers to the county commission who then the county commission can hire and and fire and and get complaints from the community and it's not a one spot fits all it's a budget they let that person run the budget and we'll get into that and your beliefs in that number two in this case He went online. He has a video out there, and I'll let everybody know what it is. It's called Truth Be Told Gregory Edwards, or the Edwards uh, death, I think it is. If you look it up online on YouTube, it's called Truth Be Told. Just type in Edwards, and you'll be able to watch his video. What got me to ask Roy to come on the show is because I saw so many inconsistencies in that truth be told. And I know how I am, everybody. I'm gonna call out that, or if I consider it bullshit, or I think something should be talked about, I think we should talk about it. Uh, Have you seen the video? I have. Uh, You did a report on this death. Yes. Give me your take on the major problems with it. So, when I first got asked to do this,
1: it was really sort of a bifurcated question. Can you help us get the video released? and consequently that's looking at what are the security issues and I think your viewers may or may not know there is a, a natural statutory exemption to releasing video that comes from inside a, uh, a penal institution. And for good reason. There are, as you mentioned, dark spots. Those are kind of things that we wouldn't want people on the outside necessarily being aware of. We might not good want- Good or bad. Good or bad. We, uh, we we have issues of shift coverage, you know. We have issues of blueprinting. Things that, that videos will naturally pick up, even if they're not part of the story, somebody who's paying attention. For example, Homeland Security thinks it could happen um, that somebody's plotting to uh, do some type of a terrorist act on a jail. Obviously, we haven't really come across that, but it is something that's worthy of thinking about. So subsequently, um, the statutory exemption is intended to be able to prevent people from just sort of willy-nilly making public records requests and receiving video from the jail because of the security concerns. So the first question I was posed is, can you help us decide or decipher what the security problems might be that would stop Sheriff Ivey? from releasing it because obviously at this point with a veteran who had gone into the jail, walked in on his own and had been wheeled out on the gurney subsequently, um, who died, there was a tremendous public interest in knowing what happened. And was the security issues on the videotape that we knew was captured by the internal system um, so uh, insurmountable that it shouldn't be shown or was there something we could do to be able to protect the security interests of the Brevard County Jail while at the same time letting the public know what to do. That was the first prong of the question.
0: Okay, this on that, and, and here's what uh, one of our viewers actually said, and I kind of agreed with him. He said, you're in a county, if you want to call it a county, a little county, you're not the federal government, you're not the FBI, the CIA, or, you know, uh, DIA, all, all the numbers, all the acronyms, mm-hmm. There's there shouldn't be anything that is top secret in Brevard County, whether it's the budget, whether it's... J- and I'm not talking about security issues. I'm just talking about... Uh, obviously, you're going to tell it. The Brevard County Jail had a TV show in there the week before. Right. Showed the exact same area. So right. that's, I think, what people... Kind of got mad at or why you can show that and not this right it seems it seems a little uh schizophrenic to do it one way
1: for uh, entertainment or education purposes and then claim an opposite uh, opinion when it comes down to something of public interest like um the death of um gregory edwards it, and that was a question for me so i i was actually curious on what i was going to see if the judge was going to allow me see anything at all I anticipated, as I think most of the public, that something really bad happened in there. Probably, you know, at the most basic primal level, that Gregory Edwards was beaten down and killed and we were going to watch the murder of this man on video. That was my expectation, based on nothing more than... the idea that the tape had been withheld so vigorously, because there was already a fight by Florida Today to try to get it, and multiple articles had been published, and now we were starting to see vigils and rallies being held, and why is the sheriff holding on to this like it's gold? So I didn't know what to expect, but that was. Probably- Neither did
0: I, to be honest, And but I did not expect what you just said. I've watched them do things in prison and how they do things in prison, you know, it, from the inside view, so I didn't expect that. I kind of expected what I saw. Uh, I didn't expect an out-and-out murder. I think they would have just refused that right to a judge's and say I didn't come up with anything else. My question was, why was the sheriff protecting it so much? At what point do you say it's the public's best interest to see it, or who was the, the, the sheriff protecting? Right. This, did, did you well, look that, into that? That became or? the
1: question, right? So that became the question, and I think when the attorneys from Florida today presented the case in front of the judge. Um, we fleshed that question out to the point of where the sheriff was then, have, he was faced with having to, to really deal with something that he naturally had protection against because of statutory exemption. And so, I think then the question is, well, how best to do it? And so, the proposal was to allow Florida Today's expert to look at the video, that would have been me and to determine what the security issues were, which is exactly what I did. I reviewed the security issues, and I determined that there were redactions that could be made, that first of all, the sheriff should have been concerned about some of the security issues. I think I I am very clear in that. Did you get to see the
0: video before all of us? Yes. On whose behalf? Uh,
1: On behalf of Florida Today. The judge had granted the opportunity for the attorneys and myself to watch it, and I was to offer the attorneys a experienced opinion when it came not only to use of force and defensive tactics which was the second prong the second question i was asked to review but on production as you know i've been involved in a lot of television production specifically involving law enforcement uh, most
0: recently live pd um so you you were hired by florida today to look at it exactly okay
1: and i understand how to redact, redact video we have to do it all the time in all of our tv shows there's a lot of sensitive information for example if you're sitting at a screen and that screen is this big on your telephone, if you freeze frame that and blow it up, you might be able to get sensitive information on an inmate that's on that screen. You suddenly have their social security number, you have their date of birth, so you have to look for things like that. So that's the set of eyes that I went into when I reviewed the video from, from sheriff's office for the very first time and I also was taking a look at of course the the layout the blueprint of the jail if the sheriff says he doesn't want to know that this room or doesn't want the public to know that this room connects to that room or this door goes to this location we can fix that we have we have redaction technology that can do that if he wants faces blurred we can do that if he doesn't want you to know for example where the fire alarms are we can do that and all that stuff can be done very much in the way that you do it on a two-dimensional piece of paper with a sharpie pen we can black those things out and what I found is that there wasn't anything that if we redacted would take away from the story of what happened to mr. Edwards and so that was my opinion so um, consequently what uh, we decided is that what the judge decided is that um, he would allow us to do a redaction and then we would come back to court and try to agree in a um, uh, sort of a, a neutral way both sides of this lawsuit that uh the the videotape was sufficient or was not sufficient if it needed more work then we would take a who was making that call you were the
0: expert really
1: i was making the call on what i thought the best redacted video was okay um the the call as to whether or not it would be released and in what form is ultimately always been up to sheriff I. i mean he is the it's his video and he is the one that is Uh, relying on statutory exemption to make that call. So he has to give a little, he has to say, okay, there's there's sufficient public interest that even though it is exempted, it doesn't mean that I can't release it. So ultimately it's convincing the sheriff that this is the video that ought to be released. Now as you know, and you mentioned the video that the sheriff made, while we were doing our redaction, the sheriff, unbeknownst to me, was doing his own redaction. And his redaction turned out to be truth be told, which was a Um, what we call in production a a bit of a puff piece uh, about what actually happened. Not that he wasn't using the video, not that the story wasn't being told, but the sheriff did something that in all fairness probably was a little um, underhanded, and that is that he told you what you were about to see, he told you what you were looking at, and then he told you what you saw. And this is a, a psychological construct now, when you see this, you actually think you saw something that perhaps you didn't see. Um, I was against that from an objectivity perspective. I wanted to have no voiceover. I wanted to have no notes. I wanted to have no splash screens.
0: You want it raw.
1: I wanted you to see the video, but not see the things that you shouldn't be seeing. Right, right. So like that's you said, the video, personal information, that's the stuff video like that. that sure. I produced. It turned out, with all of that narrative that the sheriff had included, his video was an hour. And ours was two. So it shows you that the entire video, from the moment that Mr. Edwards walked into the jail to the moment he was wheeled out, wasn't there. There were parts and pieces missing.
0: Before you even, I just want to tell the audience, if you have not seen this video, this is not a joke. It it, it made my t- stomach turn. Uh, and the part, and we're going to get into this, when the man was gasping for air and you watched the man die, and I've watched many men die, uh, that hurt. It, it, it really did, uh, Roy. It made me sick. It made me sick that somebody, yeah, well, as a veteran too, sure. a, or any human being, let's get real.
1: To but be, to be fair, he didn't die in the jail. I should I should say that he died later the following day. Now, arguably, you can you can talk about actual death and brain death. Um, to what degree his brain stopped functioning, we don't know. We'll never know. But he was alive when he left.
0: So did the ME release the brain? Well, that's interesting. No, I don't know why. <laughs> Could have that. Could have that told that it, his brain was dead at, when he left the jail.
1: I I doubt it. it um, my understanding was that they did determine hypoxia, which means that there is a, a uh, shortage uh, of, of oxygen, oxygen coming to the brain. Um, it's very difficult to pinpoint the moment that happened, and in this case, the mechanism. And that's what I was looking for. You know, a lot of times are choke holds, for example, if you do a bar arm restraint against the trachea, or you crack the hyoid bone, which is this sort of flexible disc that keeps your throat open, allows you to breathe, you can die from hypoxia because obviously your airway is obstructed, right? So I was looking for things like that. I never saw that in the video. So where does this hypoxia come from? And this is gonna probably call into question, perhaps even the spit mask, you know, cause we don't know anything about that. That, that vanished, it was thrown away. <laughs> And we don't know how uh, what the consequences were of putting a spit mask on somebody who who subsequently had just been pepper sprayed, who we know was discharging. Not Before only- you're jumping
0: ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Just because the audience, I want to I want to take them through okay. the Edwards death in that way because of what happened, because they get, may get a little bit confused. What happened was Ed was arrested in West Melbourne, Florida. Yes, he did commit a crime. Uh, whatever. That's it, it. Wasn't a murder or something of that nature. Like like uh, Roy said, he went into the jail under his own own two feet. Actually, a very calm man, got agitated in the holding cell, came out, had a scuffle with the with the guy booking him. We're gonna get into that, and then after that, they put him in a uh, restraint chair. Those things give me the I'm telling you, I get the goosebumps because I was before pointed. They put him in a restraint chair and they put a spit hood over his head uh we don't know why either and then he ended up dying and that's when i saw the part that really got me a little bit was where i thought i saw a man struggling i've had many doctor friends and i know <laughs> a lot of them they said wow that was kind of it, it hurt i mean they saw that themselves and uh then they took him to the hospital he ended up being pronounced dead the next day at the hospital to this day the 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 me uh, claimed it's called excited delirium. We're gonna get into a little bit of that, and he also said that uh, Edwards uh, And they did not release his brains and some other organs in my kidneys. Yes, and his kidneys and we're gonna get into that so You come in to help release the tape. Yes, okay After you get the tape released and you see what you see. What was your initial thought? my initial thought is that my, uh,
1: what I had envisioned wasn't true, that that, that the uh, correctional officers that had uh, taken action against uh, Edward's violent outburst were doing appropriate things. They were um, obviously scuffling with them. All the techniques I looked at very specifically. These are techniques that, in my report, I actually pull out of the Florida Basic Recruit Course with pictures showing folks. These are things that we teach professional officers. So I found I found no fault in, in the defensive tactics that the officers. So a were lot using. of people
0: saying, that, "Is it normal to take seven guys to take a guy?" It's funny that you know you
1: say that because in police work there's an irony there. Usually, the more people we have, the less you get hurt, okay? It has a lot to do with, for example, if you have a one-on-one situation and a law enforcement officer is losing, what are they going to start doing? They're going to start using high-level techniques. They're going to start punching. They might start choking because they're losing. Seven guys there, you're not losing, right? So what happens
0: is it's... It, it, I've been beat by five. Yeah, well, I'm not
1: saying that, that you can't be beaten by them, but but we know in defensive tactics when it actually comes to what we'll call a fair fight, which is when law enforcement wins, you're in custody the fairness of it can be mitigated by having only one or only a couple officers. So when you start seeing a lot of officers come in who don't have bad intent, I think that's the point you're making, who don't have bad intent or trying to take somebody into custody, usually you see less harm with the more of them, right? Because it's like dogs on a bear. Everybody grabs a limb, stretches them out until we get handcuffs on them. We don't have to beat him down. We can actually anchor him down. And so I don't naturally have a lot of heartburn when I see a lot of police
0: officers okay. dealing with somebody.
1: Sometimes. And did you
0: think in this situation was it okay? Yeah, I mean, to okay me, to me
1: it looked fine. Yeah, yeah. Now, well, there the, are some blows that we can't see. I think there was uh he was tased while he was on the ground. I don't think that was the best use of the taser. We saw one of the commercial. multiple
0: to, I I think the ME well, said seven or eight, eight times. Well, but
1: remember what the what the Taser shows is that it was activated because there's a log that's generated every time you pull the trigger. So we're able to count the number of times the trigger was pulled, but you gotta understand that the correction officer was shoving her arm through a crowd. We don't know what kind of contact it was making or if it was making contact at all.
0: And so, what is policy? I read where the policy says you're not supposed to tase someone more than twice, right? So it has a five-second natural cycle. You're not supposed
1: to do it more than twice. By the way, if you're doing it more than twice, it's not working. So you should try something else. But under the circumstances, you know, you've got a bunch of people just sure. trying to understand the reality of what's sure. happening. A bunch of people, everyone's moving around. They're trying to get hold of a guy that doesn't want to stay on the stomach and be handcuffed. You got an officer who's essentially told by um, uh, their boss, tase this guy. And the way the tasers work is that they disrupt muscular function. And I don't mean this go- to go on too long. I could talk forever. No, because. I've been tased. But, your, but your, your audience might not know how they work. So what they do is they project barbs, right? These barbs are essentially straightened fish hooks. So they go into your body and they hang on, or they could even hang on in, into your clothing. And then they produce an arc, an electrical arc, that causes what's called muscular uh, or neuromuscular dysfunction. So that we, we stop the muscles from working by causing them to involuntarily contract, right? And they hurt, by the way. That's not why they work. They... they work because you're not able to control your muscles with your brain, the machine is controlling your muscles and so we can get control of you. There are two different types of ways of being tased. One is being tase conventionally and the other one is being what's called drive stunned which is you take the, the probes that are actually attached to the cartridge you press them against the body and that Those creates, you see those hand ones right. uh, and this is basic ele- electronics right i mean the ta- taser is an advanced device but it uses a basic electronic construct which is that you need a circuit to complete the electric electrical sure. cycle So if one of the barbs misses, it doesn't work because you don't have a circuit. If you don't have the the taser actually touching with both probes on the body, it doesn't work. It might still show firing, but we're not actually getting because, of course, the the log is generating what's happening inside the weapon, not what's happening outside the weapon.
0: Okay, to jump quick, can a person not... uh, I, I mean, I've seen it, but... When a person doesn't af- get affected by it is, it, is it usually because they're drunk or something, or could it be something? A couple, give- a couple reasons. One okay. is
1: because it's it, you don't have a circuit, so you're not seeing any effect at all. Two is because you don't have it landed in the appropriate places. What I mean is when you drive stun somebody, the circuit is only maybe an inch across, right? So you're getting electricity in that part of the body. It feels a bit like, well, if you've ever been shocked by an electric cord, it's got a a very localized feeling. It'll make you jump, it hurts, but it's not causing dysfunction. What you want is a spread of probes, right? So if, if you attach one probe to your shoulder and one to your rear end, all that circuit is affecting all your muscles which causes you to collapse that's the ideal scenario for law enforcement or corrections because But
0: then those little ones can't really work that well well the The handheld ones because the probes are close the
1: the stun guns the stun guns they shock you they they hurt you they might alarm you i think a lot of people it's psychological oh my god what's happening to me i better get away um but yes they don't they don't so the
0: gun that shoots them are better
1: they're better. And this, okay. is the, and this is the weapon that they were using. I think they were using, I think the M26, I don't remember if it was the M26 or X26. But under that circumstance, you can't shoot Mr. Edwards because you got seven police officers on him. So what do you have to do? You've got to stick it in there and you got to try to get the probes close to his body, which is what she does. Probably not a tactic I would have taught under that circumstance. In other words, the taser had a high percentage of failure.
0: Okay? Why would you use a taser with seven people? Well, you know, I'm around. If I got seven guys, I don't need a taser gun as well. A lot of times the reason it's
1: used is because, remember, the ultimate goal is to get somebody in a prone position with their arms behind them so they can be handcuffed. Because that's how we handcuff people. We put arms behind them and we handcuff them.
0: I know a that. A lot of times <laughs> when
1: you're laying on top of your arms, the amount of forces that can be generated, even by people who wouldn't be considered formidable, small people, very thin people, not muscular people. The amount of forces that can be generated when you're laying on top of your arms are tremendous. And so what happens a lot of times is we tase people because we're trying to cause those muscles to involuntarily loosen. That's one of the
0: reasons okay. that we would okay.
1: do it. Okay. Now, it can also be used for insidious reasons. I mean, you might do it because you are trying to hurt them. You are, you for yeah, you're pissed
0: off. You're pissed yeah, off. remember,
1: most of us grow up in that world, right? The first time we ever been in a fight, it's to hurt the guy the most. And so yeah. we get into police work corrections, and perhaps that's still somewhere in our, in our animal brain that that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's or survival, usually, you know? It's not usually effective.
0: Uh, uh, another question, uh, it's going to happen, you know, why did it take seven people, and what happened getting up to that point? Uh, Obviously, in the sheriff's video you'll watch, he says this guy was a violent animal. I didn't see that. Or maybe I saw a lot of violent animals in my day. Uh, What did you think of that? I mean, you saw the whole video. Right. I mean, so
1: this is semantics. I mean, he was violent, no question about that. Um, When he left the cell, he, uh, he paced around a little bit, and I think we should start there. When he gets put inside the first cell, he is under surveillance, and he is showing some signs of um, having a mental episode, okay? And it is progressing, you can see it. When he first gets in there, he looks perfectly well. He does him. push-ups. Right, he does push-ups, he does sit-ups, which, by the way, can be indicative of somebody who's preparing for a fight. Um, but the, none of this was, as far as I know, detected by the correctional staff. I don't think they were watching the video, even though it was on the video. Which, by the way, is not unusual either. I mean, you, you've been in these facilities and you know you're not the only guy in there. There's other people, they're doing other things. Some guy's doing paperwork and other one's tending to this guy's request for shoes. I mean, sure. there a million things yeah, like yeah. that. So it doesn't mean they did wrong by not seeing them, but those would have been clues, right? So we start having this mental episode. He starts deteriorating. You can see it if you watch the video. At first, he's doing the push-ups. He's, you know, um, he, he starts
0: pacing the cell. Pacing
1: the cell. But then he starts kind of stopping and looking at the wall in a very mysterious way, as if he sees something the rest of us don't. Then he starts talking. Okay, so he's demonstrating that he's a little delusional, and I think consequently this is what leads to the Emmys sort of conclusion as to what happened to him. And I'm not in agreement with that, by the way. But he is, there's something wrong with Gregory Edwards. And and the story should start before the Brevard County Jail. Because we knew there was something wrong with Gregory Edwards before he was delivered.
0: And in. they even knew that. He was told by the people at the scene, by the wife, that he had severe PTSD and he was having an episode. Exactly. So that's th- th- to find that out. But my, my point was when the, vi- I didn't see violence. I mean, at a level that I know. Maybe because I was in prison for so long, maybe I was a fighter, maybe I just seen violence. I mean, to me, if I was going to do something, it would have been a lot worse to that guy. And then I could see the justification. I didn't see the sheriff saying this guy's a wild animal. Well, there was another inmate that said that. The sheriff repeated it too many times,
1: but it was said. And it was said by another inmate during an interview, uh, which I listened to. Um, But understand, our definitions of violence can be very different. Under today's standard, violence can
0: be talking mean to somebody. I mean, so so there's a continuum of violence. We know what cops do. They they charge you resisting without violence or resist, and it's BS. It happens. I think it's another charge. Far too often.
1: Yeah. But anyway, when you're dealing with a construct of violence, just under, I think your viewers should know there's a there's a continuum. Was he violent to the degree that you're talking about, where you actually see somebody who is fighting in an enraged fashion? No, that never happened. Now, could it have happened? I don't know. What we do see is that when Mr. Edwards is grabbed by the correctional officer, he assumes what we refer to as a pugilistic posture, and I know a lot of people are what does that mean? It's a fighting posture. It's a posture that a boxer might take or a wrestler might take before they engage. So these are signals that law enforcement officers are trained to recognize. So when Mr. Edwards does that, the correction officer does the right thing. He says, I'm going to put an end to this, and he tries to take him down. So what we're seeing on the video is not Mr. Edwards' attacking the officer as much as almost being defensive against the grab he does ball his fist he does lower his center he does sort of square to the officer which signals to a correctional officers if i let this go even a second more i could be the recipient of a punch to the face so he steps in and he does what we call a leg sweep doesn't go real well for that correctional officer. He hits the back of um, uh, Mr. Edwards' leg, and subsequently he ends up on the bottom when they both go to the ground. This is where the fight happens. At this point, Mr. Edwards is fighting. He is, He is. is. In law enforcement speak, he is resistant. He's elbowed the, the officer a couple times. Where they land, I can't exactly tell. Remember, we're looking at a two-dimensional video, what the injury Uh, that occurs to the correctional officer. I'm not exactly sure. He does hit his head on the ground, it appears. That's hard to see. There was a claim by the sheriff's office that he was knocked out. That's clearly not happening. There's never a moment, and you're familiar with knockouts as I am, never a moment where the correctional officer ceases to fight. And I should say the correctional officer, in all fairness, never says that. He goes, I'm not really sure what happened. And that's typical under high-stress circumstances. So he's not knocked out. That much we can say. That was repeated in the the official narrative too many times.
0: And he wasn't, because I didn't see anybody. Like you said, you'll see somebody's body go limp. You'll see a lot of things that I saw.
1: So what happens is, I always say law enforcement's the best paid gang in America. Um, so what happens? Is, <laughs> Boy, we on the same page. <laughs> yeah. So what happens is all of the but only the bad ones,
0: in my opinion.
1: No, even the good ones. We when I say by gang is, I mean we know we're going to back each other, right? So good or bad. If an officer gets in a fight, you're taking on the whole team. You're taking on everybody that's on patrol or in the facility that day. No one, ever, okay, yeah, I, I yeah, no one ever. Okay, I got me. I was stands that. back and watches. Right. Well, I, I was
0: even talking about the bad cops who become criminals. Yeah.
1: I, I, I and use, they're there. Right. I use the gang much lighter. Than okay. Do, okay. Do, yeah. We work together. We train together. We think. Sure. We it, think there's as a brotherhood. Fun. There's no question. And so. It's a joke when I say we're the best-paid gang. I don't mean it in the pejorative. I mean it in a very positive way. The law enforcement officers work together in the way that gangs try to work together. By the way, we just we're better at it because we are skilled and we have resources and we're well armed and all that kind of stuff.
0: So we I have don't to know. I was do, in a pretty good gang. We the have mob, to do you know. it right. Yeah, we know what happened to the mob. Yeah. Um, so we do. Yeah, More so, resources. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> we have
1: better resources, and we know that. And if we if we're able to. Um, Do it right, we will prevail. And so, what you're seeing is that the gang shows up, right? So, all of a sudden, we get uh, two officers, and then, well, two more show up. Now, we have three officers in the scuffle. And they're actually trying to, at this point, pull Mr. Edwards off of the correctional officer who's on the ground. You can see that for just a moment, Edwards is winning, if I can use that term. Uh, They manage to pull him off, other officers start coming around, they finally get uh, Mr. Edwards in a position where it looks like they might be able to handcuff him, but he's not in that premium optimum position, he's not in a prone position. They can't really handcuff him, which is what we're programmed to do. That's the first goal. That's the goal. Get him handcuffed, and then after that we can do whatever we're going to do with him. Let's get him handcuffed. So everybody's trying to get him handcuffed. He's setting up. He's a strong guy, right? I mean, he's a young man. I mean, he's... 35, sure. He's He's a young guy. He's a military guy. He's fit. Um, He's hard to control. So more officers join in, and this is where the pile happens, right, if you're watching on the video. Very hard to see what's happening, by the way, because we're working off of a uh, fisheye camera. Do you think they had more cameras? I know how many. Well, approximately how many cameras they had, because I looked at the leads.
0: Um, so and there are were there other, other angles? that yes. you Did you see every angle? I picked
1: the best angles for
0: you to be able to see. OK, so okay. you did see every yep. angle. OK, good. I looked, good. At, every, I looked at every second of it, and
1: in some cases, multiple times. Thank you. OK, I no, that's good. I tried to create a video that the average person would be able to say, I know what happened, right? Not because the angle was obscured or something was obscured as a consequence of the angle, but because they actually saw the very best presentation of that event. And so there were several cameras that caught it, but but this particular camera, the the fisheye that's being used, is kind of shooting down, and even then, you can't really see anything. Uh, at least in terms of what's happening to Edwards, underneath. He's ever, under a pile, obviously. So what you're doing is you're drawing inferences. If you see big movements like this, you can assume there's a punch, right? If it's coming back. I into did the see crowd. knees and stuff was like knees, that. There There were strikes. So, we strikes. We teach all of that stuff at the academy. Okay. Probably teaching it to try to get that muscular dysfunction for that sole purpose of getting his arms behind his back. That's my guess. Why they were doing it. It doesn't look like they're just beating him to beat him. They look very surgical, very targeted. These strikes are going to the major muscle. So you don't find anything
0: wrong with how they got him down? No, no. I don't have any problem. Okay, after they did him, we know what happened. After that, they get him, they handcuff him, and they put him in a restraint chair.
1: Well well, we should also say to you that previous to this, remember there's pepper spray. So don't forget that. Right? Yeah, that's a so matter that, fact, that's
0: a big big so part one, of this. So
1: one of the and the way that pepper spray works is it, it, huh? it is, yeah, and, and of course you can talk about the receiving end, I can too. I've been sprayed, I don't know, a thousand because uh, I teach it. And it always not gets kind on. Of you. your nose it is and a that. it is a inflammatory agent. It it is the it, it's capsicum. Oleoresin capsicum is what OC stands for. The active ingredient is called capsaicin, and it causes inflammation. It's exactly the same material as when you go to that, your favorite Mexican restaurant and you order their super hot spicy meal. Exactly the same stuff. Imagine just wiping it on your face. It's burning your mouth, you can hardly breathe, and now you've got it in your eyes and on your face. That's what it would feel like, because that's what it is. It's made of the, the pepper plant. So, it hurts. It is intended to hurt. It's intended to cause mostly involuntary blindness. So what happens is, unlike, for example, uh, what's often referred to as um, tear gas, right, which is going to be CN, CS type gases, OC does the opposite thing. It dries out the lacrimal gland, which is this tear gland that you have here that produces moisture. And what happens when it dries? Why
0: it out Why did I get all snot coming out it, of my nose? Because
1: or... your body was kicking back in. It happened okay. later. But the initial instinct is for the lacrimal okay. gland to dry, and your eyes slam shut. The reason we blink is to re-wet our eyes, right? Or else we'd walk around like this all the time because that's your evolved natural state is to protect and to keep your eyes moist. So the lacrimal lacrimal gland is constantly secreting a little bit of moisture across your eyes to keep it safe. When pepper spray hits it, it stops it from doing that and it causes involuntary blindness, which is the purpose from a law enforcement perspective
0: of why we use it. So they not only shocked him mm -hmm. on the ground, They beat him, shocked them, and they pepper sprayed him. And they pepper sprayed. Him. So we have one
1: of the officers. I think
0: this is still is that standard pop practice. Uh, it is. I mean, it's it's it has seems extreme for seven guys. It's probably for me. It's I mean. probably
1: from a training perspective more extreme to use it when all those cops are involved because by the way it doesn't discriminate right it doesn't it doesn't go to the (laughs) one guy everybody gets it so i was kind of surprised to see that they had done that but i think that's desperation i think law enforcement uh, officers are not immune from that like anyone else when you don't really know what to do because nothing you're doing is working you resort to some things that well let's see how this works right and so i think that yeah there's no
0: retreat. It's not that's like you could problem. step back and say, okay, that's But it does
1: problem. happen, and you have to be sensitive to that. The fact is, even if the pepper spray doesn't work, you still have a pepper spray effect. And this is one of the problems that I cite in my report. What do we do now, right? So now let's move fast forward to what you talked about. We got him handcuffed. He is pepper sprayed. He's got, I didn't know this at first. He actually has the taser probe sticking out of his rear end.
0: Right. Uh, lower back, I thought it was. But okay. It, well, it, lower, lower half. Okay, lower half.
1: So there's a couple things that have to be done immediately in law enforcement. There are policy issues. One of them, you take the probes out, right? That's the first thing you do. They don't do that. They leave them in there. I discovered the probes when I saw them treating Mr. Edwards after he had passed out in the cell a few feet away. When an officer started winding up...
0: I saw them pull him out. I, 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 I saw that, too. What is he doing? Well, you showed it. What is
1: he doing? He's making this motion. And it occurred to me those were the leads to the probes. They're like fishing line. And so he's winding So I'm thinking, what in the world? Is, they never took this out. The second thing...
0: Are you supposed to take them out immediately? Yes. They heard, Once you like, once you secure ups. the person.
1: Absolutely. And sometimes you, you might need a medical doctor to take them out. You want to inspect them, make sure that nothing's complicating, right? I mean, they—they they, generally, they, they come out, they're always going to leave a mark because they've penetrated your body, if they've penetrated your body. But you want to make sure there's not excessive bleeding, right? I mean, if they end up hitting a capillary area or a vein or something like that, they can bleed, I mean, it's significantly. So you have to take them out, especially if you're about to throw somebody in a seated position.
0: Uh, that was my
1: next. I mean, and handcuff them. That really, handcuff. you know. So that's the first policy issue. We see that this doesn't happen. Secondly... He's contaminated, which means that he's got a good 45 minutes to an hour of just pain, just hurt. And what we do is we decontaminate. Now, there's no way to reverse the effects. We don't have an antidote, we pour on you and you're suddenly fine. You go, thanks, that doesn't happen. But what we do use is water and copious amounts of water. You don't do it with a squirt gun. You have to actually push, pour pour them. And there's no better place to do that than a jail because you got showers. Right, So in law enforcement, sometimes we are challenged with the same problem. We spray somebody. We know what do. You know what we do? We drag them up to the neighbor's house and we pose them off because they well, have a oh, hose. You know, sure. We knock on the door, excuse me, can I use your hose? But in the jail, there's no excuse for not decontaminating somebody, and they don't do that. They leave the pepper spray on him, and he does what everyone does virtually that is contaminated. He starts to have discharge, the kind of discharge that you talked about. So correctional officers get unnerved by this. We're all a little concerned about bloodborne pathogens and getting infections, particularly from people who have just come in the jail. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their history is. You know, are they IV drug users? Are they engaged in other kinds of behaviors that are that are consistent with catching the kind of hepatitis C, for example? Sure. You don't want HIV, it to everything. You sure, it sure, out. absolutely. So in good faith, we see them reach out and grab a hood. So a spit hood is something that is um oh, we have two things we have a spit mask you actually put on top of your face or a spit hood um and we use them with people who spit at us right whether it's in the field or it's in a, it's inside a facility because people will do that and if somebody's spitting at you it's not part of the job description and
0: right? you don't. Know, that's actually an assault i know it that is an assault, it's an but assault but it could be assault and if the guy has something right, then but it but can there's be no consequence
1: them, in right. charging them when you get hepatitis c so you try to right. prevent it right so, we put on these spit masks and these spit hoods, and uh, subsequently, that's what they do. But remember, Edwards isn't spitting. As a matter of fact, during the interview, they asked him, was he spitting at you? And the correctional officer said, no, he didn't do
0: that. In fact, his wife, who I interviewed, and you can look at that interview, and everybody can look at that interview on uh, in our library, I interviewed his wife, Kathleen Edwards. Uh, he said he hated that, He he, he was not a Spitter, he thought it was disgusting. Yeah, well, he doesn't do it, so yeah. Even his, you know, but, his uh, predisposition. So they were supposed to wipe his face down and clean him. and You don't really wipe it off. He needs copious amounts of water, and the and the showers okay. aren't far away. Is right? that in their policy to do that?
1: They are supposed to contaminate. It's also the manufacturer's recommended. But us. is it
0: in the policy? Uh, I
1: believe so. I mean, you're quizzing me on a policy that I okay, I didn't know. Yeah, about, yeah, right. Yes, I believe it is. It should um, be
0: in every policy, obviously. We should
1: you decontaminate
0: it. It. and pull and the pongs and whatever for that. Right, have some process
1: in place to be able to do that. Now, subsequently, um, instead of decontaminating, they throw a hood over him, And they do it in the spirit of caution, I'm sure, to say, well, he's drooling and he's got the discharge that happens when you contaminate. But what they don't realize is these spit hoods that are designed to allow free airflow. I say they don't realize. I don't know what they realize, but they should have realized. These spit hoods that are designed to allow free exchange of air, they're like fishnets. Once they start getting clogged with things like mucus, sure. Wait, this guy's just been in a fight. Is his nose bleeding? Is there? Oh, sweat, out? everything, sweat, um, s- mucus. That, that happened to me. Um, I, I was snot straight straight coming, everything coming the, out. Well, all that's coming out. It's got to go somewhere. So the question is, is this filling the mask? Well, we don't know. We don't know to what degree
0: this discharge filled the mask it did fill the mask and we sure. don't know because the so, sheriffs right. got rid of the mask
1: well the other problem is nobody's watching him
0: well my, my point to let everybody know when i was four point and you guys know about this uh they're supposed to first of all it couldn't be over four hours that's by federal policy uh second is they're supposed to have a nurse at the facility and uh, right. inspecting, inspecting yes, every fifteen minutes. Yes, and
1: there is there are nurses there. It's just that we don't see on the video any interaction with Mr. Edwards until they it, don't even come until in to check it's them. Too
0: late. Exactly. They don't come in to take exactly. the hood off to check to see what's going on or anything. And
1: there's been some commentary about why that happened. I think the nurse described that she was not asked to do it, but it is part of the policy that she must do it. In particular, when you get into the restraint system, the nurse has to check those straps, make sure that you're not strapped in too much. You refer to it as a four-point restraint. It's actually an eight-point restraint. I mean, you have a you have a, a, a chest strap, you have a waist strap, you have two shoulder straps. The arms are strapped at the wrist to the armrests well, and the feet are. Re- are well,
0: well, when I was four pointed, they didn't even do that. They didn't decide to do that. They okay. just put me in a four point naked. And then I was swiggling around, hurting my back, everything. I mean, obviously. Well, but, I guess we've come a long way since then. <laughs> so, um, but uh, one question on the restraint uh, Is it policy to <laughs> restrain a person in handcuffs in a chair? I mean, wouldn't you take them out and put their hands where they're supposed to be? Yes, and so I make a comment about that as well. So you can see the chair, if you look at it on the
1: video, has a small cutout at the very bottom of the seat for handcuffs. But the reason that that's there is because you have to stabilize somebody first, which means that you will put them in a chair with handcuffs on Put around thing. And if your viewers don't know how handcuffs work, they are very unforgiving. They go in one direction. They get smaller. There is a mechanism on them called a double lock mechanism, which and, stops them from moving. Go and ahead. to
0: let your let the audience know, I I know how to slip them. If you don't double lock them, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> because we used to do it in the hole, yeah. and I beat a guy pretty right. bad when the guards didn't double, and they take you to the hole. I uh, take you to the cage for recreation yep. in you're, a prison.
1: Larry, you're exactly right. They are. I won't say they're easy to slip, but they're slippable when you don't secure what's Ooh. called the pawl. There's Paper a, clip, there's push a it back. There's spring go back. load in the bottom, and you push that down, and, that, and the whole thing will open. But it is designed to go one direction. Right. And it will keep going in that direction if they're not double locked. So, what happens is if you throw somebody into a chair, and I don't know if the cuffs were double locked, that's one thing I don't know. Once that cuff hits something hard, it's going to get even tighter.
0: And I don't believe he was double locked. Yeah. Uh, just because of the situation that we're Fair in, enough. I'm, does I'm, it I'm make not make me a, think they stopped everything the double locker I'm not
1: offering an opinion on that, he may or may not have been, but by the way, it shouldn't have mattered, and here's why. Because once you secure them, once the waist straps are on, once the leg straps are on, once the, the, the chest, the chest strap. strap is on, the shoulders are locked back, somebody has to go around now take those off, because what's happening is... If, any, if, if your viewers were to stand up and grasp their fingers together behind their back and then just relax their muscles and relax their grip, their arms would swing back forward. The way that we we're designed is the muscles are constantly pulling your body forward. When you put handcuffs on, that pull doesn't stop. So what's happening is the pull is being pulled against unforgivable metal, which means you're getting swelling, right? So when the cuffs are on for a long period of time, what they might be on correctly but in five minutes, they're no longer on correctly because the wrist has grown as a as a consequence of swelling. Right, the edema starts to turn uh, your wrist into a bigger wrist. I had
0: engraved marks so in what you, my hands, Mr. Uh, Edwards. Uh, uh, okay. okay, so I saw the
1: postmortem uh, uh, pictures. Now, to be fair, I don't know if that happened when he got delivered with West Melbourne or if that happened in the jail. Who knows? We just know that the marks are there,
0: showing that the handcuffs were on. Well, when he got to the jail, the handcuffs were taken off. Yeah, but he could still
1: bear the marks of what happened in the ride over there. True. I just wanted. I mean, I
0: think he would have been. I I know me just to tell a person who's been in handcuffs a lot, from Con Air and everywhere. You, the first thing you do is start moving your hand to get circulation back. Uh, I remember, literally, my hands were numb, literally numb, and I would be. Trying to get circulation back into my my arms. Just well, the reason I raise this is
1: because when he's in the back of the car at West Melbourne Police Department, or in their in their control vehicle, he says, "I can't feel my hands."
0: Okay. He tells that to the officer. So,
1: um, by the way, he's also episodic. He's having some kind of a mental break. He's saying some very unusual things, which, in my opinion, West Melbourne Police Department should have picked up on. He didn't. He didn't need to be at the jail. That is not the receiving center. Circles of Care. I agree. Right. It's not the receiving center for somebody who's having a, a mental episode. Absolutely. And I have a lot to say about that. That, but I'm going to move it back into the story. He gets delivered to the jail. The jail is completely unequipped to handle a guy who is in a who is having a mental episode. Psychotic episode, episodes. sure. They are they are not trained to do it. They're trained to mitigate. They're not trained to treat, as you know, and yet here comes a guy. Um, who is probably somewhere in the midst of a psychotic episode who is de- who is deteriorating so that's my first real criticism is that West Melbourne Police Department kind of uh, screwed it up shouldn't have brought him there that's the first thing but he is there and now they have to deal with it so back to the
0: handcuffing sorry to jump around. before we even start yep. that one do you think they could have refused him? yes the jail
1: well could've... but you have to understand the jail has to know what they're dealing with right so all of the episode that happens in the Walmart parking lot The only people that are familiar with that are West Melbourne Police Department.
0: What the West Melbourne Police Department did say is that they let the jail know that this man has PTSD and his wife said he's having an episode.
1: But he's delusional. So if you do talk about, and you want to talk about excited delirium, that's one of the key indicators. This could be a rapidly deteriorating psychological disposition. That they are now having okay. to deal with, and so the delusions that are coming from them somethings wrong with Mister Edwards in the. Field. No, I'm talking
0: about the go- the, the co- original cops told the jail people. It's
1: not enough. Listen, we don't die from PTSD. You're a walking example of that. We die from excited delirium, right? So we there, these are two very different. We're gonna question that. <laughs> we'll talk we're about we're gonna that. have about that. No we're problem. gonna do that. These are two very different. Diagnosis, field diagnosis—they're not proper, you know, mental health evaluations, but they're field diagnosis When a police officer thinks it could be that, you go with that. You don't think it could be the lesser one, too. I'll go. All with
0: right, that. let's just get back to in the handcuffs. He's in the chair. They should have taken the handcuffs off oh, and yes. put his hands in the right position.
1: Manufacturers' recommendations and policy: you got to bring the hands back to the front because what it does is it reduces swelling, it reduces pain, it reduces suffering, it reduces, and arguably, you can, you know, some people refer to it as torture when you put somebody in a chair like that, and and it is torturous. I which I think I teach handcuffing. I've had them on a lot they hurt especially if they're left on a long time you start saying to your friends okay let's I'm i was done. in let's them for 14 16 you know, let's, hours let's straight get me out of there.
0: absolutely
1: so they don't do that and i don't know why but it is a policy violation um and i
0: mean so now who is responsible for this is there like a, a sergeant at the jail who should take over situations okay guys let's get the handcuffs off let's wipe the face let's do this is somebody accountable for that So or? Every,
1: everybody's responsible They're all trained to the same standard, but when it doesn't happen, to your question, yes, it would be the supervisor. It could be, for example, a sergeant who's there. Could be a lieutenant who's there. That's about the highest you're going to see within the facility. Um, those supervisors need to kind of go around and double-check everything to make sure that everything is done appropriately. By the way, they're also probably the least impassioned, right? Because the guys that are on the ground are usually not the brass. Sometimes the brass get into it. In this case, they did. But they're usually the ones that are more level-headed. They have most experience. They know the policy better than the slick sleeves. So, yeah, they're supposed to be the least... What do you call them? Slick sleeves. People who don't have any... any, any um, uh, uh, you know, Strikes. I
0: got it. Okay, I, did, I never heard that. That's a great yeah. guy. So, I got it. So,
1: so consequently, these are the ones that almost step back while the slick leaves, the line officers, are doing their thing and making sure it's done right. And we have uh, a couple supervisors on the scene at this point, and neither of them uh, do that. They ne- neither of them say, oh, time out, we have to do this now. And so they basically throw the spit hood on, he's handcuffed behind his back, he's strapped into a, a eight-point restraint, and he's wheeled off to sit and cool down in another cell. Now, by the way, I don't think any of these correctional officers anticipated this was going to end the way that it did. Um, oh,
0: I don't think their intent was to murder him.
1: Well, that's where I think some of your viewers, and perhaps rightly so when the video wasn't released, thought that. But we're at a point now to where this fight is essentially over
0: but but i'm gonna back my viewers i i you know i know we're not at that point yet here but that death was unacceptable to me i mean it's a human being a human life a veteran you can go on and on A, a, a father a wife, a husband a son here's a kid that did not deserve to die for having ptsd in jail or ptsd episode period goes to the jail and be the whether so far all these things you're saying almost any one of them might have saved his life almost any one of what if they would have wiped his face off and not put a spit hood on him maybe get his hands out of the, out of the restraints because he couldn't because he was strapped in a chair and i know what it takes to be behind your back and then strapped i was belly chained i did so many you know the air, con air which you know all about i'm sure. So I, I don't know how you, you know, is it just us being idiots and we just, a guy died and, oh, okay, we got to change our policies. How do you hold someone accountable, in my opinion? Now, I don't know. Do you think he would have died? Do you think he would have died if, okay, here's a question for you. and My audience is going to ask you. You're an expert witness. If they put you on a the stand, they said, if you think he would have died if he had a no spit hood and they cleaned his face? I don't know. Okay, do you think you, you don't know, you, most of your answers we know because nobody I don't know, but neither knows. do you,
1: um, and none of us do, um, because you're talking about physiology, and it's a it's a complex web of processes that are happening.
0: I can have um, beliefs though, Roy. Uh, I watched them die, I, I watched them die, and I watched many men die, don't get me wrong, I watched men die right in front of me, from stabs, from heart attacks, from a lot of things. This one was rough because I saw him that that trying you saw to nobody bre-
1: watching him. That's what you were most upset about is nobody's doing No, anything. I'm
0: watching him in that Spithood and I'm watching his breathing. And he couldn't breathe. He the Spithood's trying to go to his his face. I want people everybody to go out there and watch this video. Uh, and and even if you have to fast forward to that point in the cell, he's in the cell about sixteen minutes and you're seeing him kinda trying to get air. And that I've been uh, to the point where you couldn't breathe. You know, I've been in fight where you can't breathe. I've been in certain... Breathing is, is the one thing you know, it, you go nuts, number one. You it's trip. essential. It's yeah. essential. It's the one thing in yeah. your life you have to have, air. And I saw that. And I don't know if you saw it, and I'm sure you did. And and I take the, the thing that that's what kind of got me, you know, and how it got there we're talking about. I don't blame, I don't think people meant to get and say, let's kill this guy. I think they got out of hand, I think they got control, they got their anger issues or whatever, and, and then say, fuck him, let's put him in the cell and leave him alone, it'll cool him down, whatever. And nobody checked him. Now, at what point, now there is a lawsuit, let everybody know. In fact, the day I'm filming this, and I'll tell you what the date is, is December 9th, 2020. Uh, Gregory Edwards died two years today, two years ago today. And also, they filed a lawsuit, a federal and a state. Uh, I, I, the federal, is a, it's called the Bivens Act, and it's uh, uh, 1983. And it's a federal lawsuit for cruel and unusual punishment as part of that. And uh, I don't know the state law. It's actually I, uh, yeah, the, 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 an Eighth Amendment lawsuit. An Eighth Amendment, yeah, cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, that's a Bivens, but I don't know the state. Uh, I don't know. They, they also sued state.
1: that happens quite often. Yes. So well, first, he, hate crime like battery.
0: For okay, that's you know. what I just said. So he gets in the chair. He ends up. Let's get right to where it at. He ends up going. Nobody checks him. Correct so far. Right. Here is where I don't get where the sheriff, and truth be told, does not address any of these things. Um, right.
1: I mean. I think you know why the sheriff wouldn't address it. This is something that uh, I would think in hindsight no one would be proud of, including the sheriff, that things weren't done exactly right. Everyone wants to have the best case scenario. This wasn't the best case scenario. Um, But back to what you said, I don't think that we know what killed Gregory Edwards. If it was one thing, a combination of things. If it was something more insidious like excited delirium, I'm giving you a segue here, Larry. I see that. About, and
0: I'm going to go. Out, but, we're going to go into it right now. We,
1: we can't say with any degree of certainty. Certainly, we're not medical professionals, and we're not MEs, and we didn't open the body up and have a look and inspect the brain and do the kind of things that we understand were <sighs> done. Um, we just know that Gregory Edwards died, and we know that there were things that are in, in custody. In, in, well, right. We know that there are things that that weren't done, that should have been done, as a matter of policy designed to keep people alive. That's the reason you do it. The consequences, unfortunately, are on a case-by-case basis. We don't know if we, in law enforcement, if we do everything right, sometimes people still die. I mean, let's face it, police officers are given guns, sometimes they shoot somebody and they need to shoot somebody and that person dies. That's not a sign of failed law enforcement. It's not, it is the sign of an imperfect world, I will give you that, but not necessarily a sign of uh, of imperfect law enforcement. They've done everything right and somebody dies. So I'm very cautious in saying that I can tell you why Mr. Edwards died. But I can tell you what the correctional officers should have done and didn't do. And maybe had they done that, maybe Mr. Edwards would still be here. But uh, that's inconclusive uh, from from the expert's perspective. I'm not sure what caused Mr. Edwards Okay,
0: now to let, let, let's get. The official death report for Gre- Gregory Edwards was Excited Delirium. I want you to look it up. Uh, there are people, NMEs, and doctors who don't believe in it, and there are some who do believe in it. That's a condition I'm going to ask uh, Roy about. Obviously, he knows a lot about the brain and stuff of that nature. But also, if you, if the medical examiner said that he died of suffocation due to no air from that uh, spit hood, if that happened, is this a different case? Sure.
1: Yeah, causation.
0: So you think? Do you think that the medical examiner? Because there are medical examiners who say no about excited delirium. Oh, I know. There's a lot of people. I mean, there's a that. lot of people. I think it's
1: worth talking about. because. And that's a why lot I
0: want to know. What's your belief on excited delirium? So
1: let us let me answer your first question first. So the, the spit mask was inspected, except not that spit mask. At least according to the reporting, they brought another spit mask, same manufacturer, same model, everything. I understand they wet it down, tried to breathe through it, found there was not the way to do things
0: come on you don't know if it was uh, a mucus you don't it's, know what it's a, blood, you know, he had a bloody nose the problem is hey, you come have on, a you different
1: don't. you have a conclusion based on a different set of facts right. we needed that spit mask All so right. I want to be very clear about
0: that so that does that, a is, that a, is that is that is that a bad like how do you obviously it's gonna to go to a jury probably not I don't think so personally but do you think uh, that's a, a major mistake it's yeah, gotta huge, be a major huge. mistake it's huge um, and mean, again is this all, supervisional it's is this come, supervisors mess ups
1: Absolutely. This is this look, when when we know when we see the state of Gregory Edwards and, and, and it's on film, you know this is a crime scene. It doesn't mean anyone committed a crime, but there's probable well, reasonable suspicion that a crime may have been committed that caused him to be in this state. Because remember he walks in. So you immediately treat it as a crime scene. You preserve the evidence. This spithood is a crucial part of the evidence. Now, it can dismiss the idea that it was the cause of death, or it can confirm that it was the cause of death. We don't know, because we don't have it, and we won't know, and you can't take a second mass that wasn't on Gregory Adams, filled with his biofluids, and make, uh, drawn a conclusion that no, it wasn't the mass. That's not
0: then, possible. Then how can they come to a conclusion of excited delirium? Well, because, uh, let's explain what it is first. Okay? okay? So this is, this is very educational. This, this requires
1: it. a little bit of a, a, of a lecture, and, and, and I'm usually standing up in front of a chalkboard. But I Yeah, don't do to it speed
0: as, as speed it up as well. So Excited
1: Larian's been with us a long time. It's been called a lot of different things. We didn't understand it for the longest time. Probably we understand it more in the last 15 years because of Taser, because they put a lot of money into studying it. But it's been around um, since at least the turn of the century, um, especially where we first started seeing it was in Asylums. Um, We started seeing it with people who were otherwise perfectly healthy, 26 years old, fit, and then boom, they just die. What's going on here? So we didn't know. So back then they referred to it as Bell's mania. It was the original diagnosis that was um, indicative of um, someone who died mysteriously. We didn't exactly know why it happened.
0: That's like Bell's palsy.
1: But yeah, it's different. Um, (laughs) But it was called Bell's mania, named after the man that sort of discovered what he thought the mechanisms were. When I got into police work in the 80s, we We started calling it sudden death syndrome because we put somebody in the back of our car after a fight and they show up at the jail dead a surprise to the driver what has happened so it's been called excited delirium in the 1980s it was referred to as cocaine psychosis because almost everybody that the me opened up dr wetley in particular wrote several papers on this um indicated that uh everybody had cocaine in their system not surprising in the 80s big cocaine boom in south florida
0: did my share right so
1: um (laughs) But still the name was sort of jumping around. Medical doctors usually would inspect somebody, or oftentimes they wouldn't inspect anyone, because remember they die very rapidly, so they don't ever make it to the hospital. A lot of times they're dead in the back of the patrol car and they're at the morgue, right? And then they're on the ME's table. So, the MEs were starting to go, hey, I've seen this before. Today, the AMA still does not recognize it. And I think it's fair to say that. See,
0: that, that's important to listen to. The, so American, the American Medical Association does right. not recognize excited delirium.
1: And neither does the American Psychiatric Association. But who does recognize it is the American Medical Examiners Association, because they're the ones that typically get these cadavers delivered to them. So.
0: But they, are they doing it just because they have no other reason? Well, they're not, or they don't want to place the reason on it? Or they don't want to say, hey, listen, it was because of a overdose of cocaine, or it was suffocation, or, you know, because they didn't have the fact. I think if that mask. You just taught me something in this whole interview. I think if they had that mask, we could answer answered a lot of questions here. You're, I think you're right about that. Um, but why are they doing it? Who
1: knows why they're doing it? I don't think, because it happens enough times... That everyone is involved in a cover up, and there is the theory that Doug... Oh, no, I didn't say a cover up. No, no. Though, but I think a lot of people what I think meant that. by
0: that was just, hey, listen, I got to put something on it. I don't want to say unexplained and leave the case open. Well, Excited delirium. It, listen,
1: it's mysterious. It's like SIDS. Do you do you think SIDS exists? There are some people that think that when babies wake up dead, it's because their parents killed them. Other people say wait, something. You going know,
0: on. I, I have no opinion personally. I, I do believe in SIDS or some. I don't know, but I think there is some answer to it. I think maybe they suffocate. They turn. Have, they, a lot of. Information has happened on SIDS so, that a person can turn and suffer a baby. But you That's would admit
1: that after as many of these incidents that we've had, we're not exactly sure. What's going yeah, about.
0: absolutely. So I I think let's there's put, a lot of things we don't let,
1: know. Let's put excited delirium in that category. Okay. Okay. We know probably more about excited delirium than we know about SIDS. I would say not probably. We absolutely know more about excited delirium. Here's what we found out about, about excited delirium. We used to think there were three criteria. One, mental illness was almost always a part of it. I mean, you had, you, a jacketed mental illness case. Two, use of drugs. No question about that. You had drugs in your system or were a known drug user. Three, a violent event, usually with law enforcement, right? Cops don't get called to the party. They get called when people are acting up. So what we were seeing is that we had mentally ill people under the influence of drugs getting in a fight with cops and dying mysteriously. Perfectly fine. By the way, within probably 30 minutes of the arrest.
0: So what do you say when you just said a lot of things with that... With delirium, Which is great, but none of that was in Edwards' system. There was no drugs in his system.
1: Right. I didn't say that I thought Edwards was necessarily an excited. Delirium oh, 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 okay, but okay. that is
0: the ME's?
1: Uh, I, I got diagnosis. it. I got it. Okay, here, you're
0: hearing that, everybody. The ME classified excited delirium. Do you? Be, well, let's get right to. It. Do you believe he died of excited delirium?
1: I don't know, but I I would say that the indicators are not there that he did. Kayden. Okay, so let me get into what some of those things are. First of all, you mentioned the first one. There was no stimulant. Now, I know the sheriff had made a lot about the fact that he was huffing this end dust. Well, first of all, that's a depressant. It's not a stimulant, so it's not the right drug. Not to mention, they never found that in his system. Not to mention, his wife even said, I'm not sure if he was doing it then. I just saw a bunch of empty cans in the in the trash
0: and he was into music, and it could have been a lot of different things. I was at the house. Have, I interviewed. We him. have no idea, right, 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 whether or not he was actually. Using I think it. that was wrong of the sheriff to disparage him like that. Call him a drug addict. I,
1: I won't comment on what's right or wrong about the sheriff's position, except there it wasn't found in his system, and if it was found in his system, it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the signature drug. Okay, typically it's meth. Typically it's cocaine. It could be some kind of stimulant. Right. Here's opioids what it is, it's a stimulant. Right, right. It's generally a stimulant. That's what we find. Oh, which is why they called it cocaine psychosis. None of that's found in his system. Okay, What we know is when people abuse drugs, is that obviously there's some physiological changes that they undergo. Cocaine or any stimulant attacks the pleasure center. Right? So there's a part of your brain that um, you generates dopamine. It's mostly dopamine. The, so the dopamine transporters that are moving the chemical of dopamine, and dopamine is a naturally-occurring substance in your system. When you see something that you really like, like a big steak dinner, you feel very happy about that. And <laughs> you, you know me already. Roy. There's a release of dopamine, those bond to the neuroreceptors, and consequently you feel good. Unfortunately, because it is a synthetic, it's not dopamine, it has, it has a... Uh, possibility, in some cases a probability, of restructuring that neural network, right? So what's happening is your dopamine, to sound crass, your dopamine receptors get all screwed up. Okay? Now, you never see that in somebody. You might see that there's a behavioral change, for example, they might have to do more and more of it because they're adapting to the use of these drugs. Um, They may become uh, almost incapable of pleasure anymore right because um, they need it artificially yeah i mean i i, get I, get I know that a lot about, we know that about right I, I know but maybe your viewers don't so what's happening is the dopamine receptors are screwed up well one of the things that dopamine also controls i'm sorry not dopamine it indirectly does but the the area of your brain is your um thermogenic. so your body temperature it regulates body temperature right so if you screw up the dopamine receptors you can have a consequence of not being able to 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 regulate body temperature in the way that normal people do now remember the third element you get in a violent incident oftentimes with police i mentioned that to you so what's happening is your body's heating up as a matter of fact a lot of times when police officers are called to these cases the people are naked when they show up
0: but you know i I did a whole show on that and that that's when they were doing the uh spice and stuff of that yeah, nature. Yeah, absolutely. If
1: it's, a, if it's a synthetic stimulant, you are um, a yeah. candidate for suffering from... And they would run around naked syndrome. to
0: try to cool their body down. Exactly. Yeah,
1: well, the weird thing is, you know, the running around doesn't help, but they, <laughs> they peel clothes off because they realize that they're going from 98.6 to 101
0: to 103 to 108. Matter of fact, I gave a class with the academy on how to they, they need to recognize this and take the people to the hospital instead of the jail.
1: Well, I think you agree with me this exists so that's well no about.
0: I don't know if that's excited delirium it is It's exactly I overdose. know what the drug that's to me a drug overdose
1: no it's not a drug overdose that's excited delirium what's happening is it, you're having a secondary physiological feature because of the drug it's acting as a medium
0: okay so okay. the ca- so wouldn't you consider causation the drug though
1: well no the causation is going to be the restructuring of the dopamine receptors that's causing the physical no, no, I, I get, I
0: get the science pact where I'm getting at the cause the cause is the drug. If he didn't have the drug in him, it wouldn't happen. It's a contributor. It's not a causation. It's a contributor. Well, uh, the, can you die of can I die of excited delirium right now? I don't know. I'd have to take a look at your
1: dopamine receptors. Um, you know what I mean. I still wouldn't know what I was looking at, but I would tell you that, that, that you may or may not be a candidate. Our physiology is different. Everyone's physiology is different. But I do know that after you die is something that seems to be excited delirium. That's what you look at. You look at the brain, because that's that's what tells you. And by the way, in this case, the brain's missing, and you won't return it. That's a problem.
0: That's a Our huge problem. A major problem. problem. Hey, so, here's my point. Here's a young man who was a two-tour Iraq war veteran. Who was a medic so he was in some stressful situations and none of this ever happened to him over there obviously yeah, I don't know if he was using drugs back then I don't know if he if yeah, he PTSD, I, I, yeah if well, he you're, we're trying wellness. to surmise too much I don't think I don't we should know. do that let's get back to the video which got me really to think about you a lot when all the stuff happened and I all the things that I saw in the video that didn't happen or he says the violence and he was an animal. He was a rabid dog. I did not see that. I don't know if you saw that. Obviously, he doesn't mention all the policy violations. The uh, Which any one of them, maybe. Maybe could have kept them alive or not. I mean, you said they're made to keep people alive, obviously. And I get it. Listen, I'm the first person that tells people things happen. Uh, I have... When I don't think there's intent or a person wants to hurt somebody, maybe they be held accountable in other ways. But... I mean, throwing a person in prison for life or, you know, non-intent, and we don't do that normally in the law, and you know that. I just don't know why he had to be so defensive, the sheriff, of, and doesn't bring anything we're talking about up. And that's why we're talking about it. I mean, I'm looking at a guy that's saying, why, the, the video I saw was different. The video, again, that, that part hurt me, and it really did. It made me think really hard about death, and I've seen... Listen, I watch men die right in front of me. Tell me that die I die. I have friends who commit suicide. Tell me they are gonna do it. Seeing him gasp for air, and everybody I know who watched the video, and I want you guys to watch the video, uh, especially even doctors said that was hard. That was hard to watch. And at that point, why don't you just at what point you're a law enforcement expert? Let's go this. If you were advising the sheriff right now, what would have you advised them on this? Tough question, but a good one. Well, right after it happened or at this moment? Let's go, right after it happened, and then obviously release the video and get out in front of things, I always tell them that.
1: I think I think that's the best advice, is to get out in front of this, okay? If the sheriff would have released the video right away, in spite of the statutory exemption, it would have put a lot of the, the sort of uh, rumors, if you will, that have happened now over the last two years to rest. The sheriff could have said very easily, look, we screwed some things up. We've made some changes. By the way, they did. They've changed their policy consequently to no longer mask you after being pepper sprayed and put them in an eight-point restraint. They've changed that. So that's exactly what law enforcement officers do. You have to understand law but enforcement... But is there a
0: mistake beforehand? Shouldn't they have did this before? And the policy... Have- you just said that the taser people tell you shouldn't do that. The uh, shock people say you pull out the things. So wh- who's the... is obviously ultimately the sheriff. Shouldn't somebody say, come in... Do you? It's a great question. Sure. Do you go to a police? Do you, Roy Bedard? Listen, your resume is one of the best I've ever seen. Do you go to a police department and say, "Let me see your policy books"? Yes. And would have that jumped at you? Yes. Then somebody's somebody's has to be not again criminally is a different animal to me, uh, intent and everything else that goes there, But there has to be somebody accountable for this death. In some way or another, to this wife, who I think has been treated and her husband is being disparaged on TV or, or that video. He's a rabid animal. You don't know what you're dealing with. And I, I, I kind of really don't like to do that. I don't do that but to Larry, criminals. You know, Roy. sometimes
1: when politics meets science, you get these kind of things happening. Obviously, the sheriff wanted to come out on, uh, on both feet, wanted to mitigate problems that he knows they have, obviously he's made changes, Um, wanted to give the very best representation of of what could be given under the circumstances, right? Um, And I think did what a lot of politicians do, which is to um, give a representation of a real life event in such a way that it was most favorable to him. I think he should have done that in the beginning, and I think if that would have happened, it would have removed the mystery, which is really what the sheriff, that's the legacy of this whole thing, is there was such a mystery about it. And there are people that watch the video sometimes that are primed to see what they thought they were going to see, even if it didn't happen, because that's the way psychology works, right? When somebody tells you what you're going to see and then you watch it, that's how, ma- that's how magicians work. They tell you this is going to happen, and then you look at it, and my god, that's what happened, and that's not what happened. So this priming process, that the sheriff uh, is now involved in, he told you what you're going to see, told you what you're seeing, and then told you what you saw, is not uncommon. It's just unfair. Okay? There's, different, there's a difference between those two things. My advice to the sheriff would have said, when you have these kind of things, and there is the, the beating of the drums, if you will, where people are going, what happened to Mr. Edwards? At that point, you mitigate that by saying, here's what happened. Do what we did. Roll the video out, let people draw their opinions, and deal with the criticism. I,
0: but don't you believe politics came in? He was in a he was in a political race. He did it right after the election. I don't think he had a, a chance of losing personally. I mean, I know the sheriff, and he's a good speaker. He's good at what he does. But I I, I lack. What worries me is there's a lack of either compassion, or a lack of uh, empathy. And in my my opinion. I can't. I couldn't look that widow in the face and say, "Hey, we did the great job, and we did this, and you know, you know." It just was an unfortunate accident and stuff, and go to her and stuff of that nature. I, I would have did it a whole different. Again, maybe it's because I do have, as a criminal, I have empathy. I really feel for people, and it could, could be an inmate, it could be a, a law enforcement. Sure. When a cop dies, I hate it, you know. And my my platform, Roy. I don't know if you know that is. I try to break down the us-against-them mentality of Me communities. Yeah. Law enforcement, hey, because we need each other. Law enforcement can't work without the help of the community. can't. You got one cop to you know thousands of people. You can't do that. And, and the community needs the police as well. I tell young people, if your house is robbed, do you call 411 or 911? They all say 911. Well, then you know you need the cop. Now, what do you want coming there? Do you want a cop who cares, doesn't want to just throw your kid in jail? Do you want to help? You want the compassionate guy. You want the guy that wants to help. Again, essence of my being a cop, uh, a law enforcement officer is, because the law enforcement mentor of mine was all about helping the community, helping, period. He didn't care about anything else. He goes, sometimes arresting the bad guys helps helping the community. He goes, but my goal was to help the community. I don't know if this video hurts or helps the sheriff with a man like you who is an expert to the highest level you really are uh when you saw that video did you just look to consider it politics or do you look at it deeper you're talking about the sheriff's video or the, the sheriff's or the, the video? sheriff's video no it's politics
1: I, I mean no there's no i don't i don't like to assign motive. As a matter of fact, it's an ultimate question, and I think it's up to the public to decide why they think he did what he did. But I, I would conclude personally, uh, out of the expert's role, that it was uh, uh, political. Um, there was no, there's no reason to have to tell people what's happening on a video. That's what the videotape is for. Unless, for example, something can't be seen. Um, I wanted this to be an objective video. I wanted there to be
0: multiple opinions. But and what you saw is not what he showed. No.
1: No, I saw obviously our video uh, when we ran it from its entirety was two hours the sheriff with commentary added commentary several minutes of just the sheriff speaking and telling you what you're gonna see was an hour so clearly something got lost in translation um, our, our video is way more boring by the way I will tell you if you sit and watch I watch the whole thing it's for bo- it's more boring because there is no commentary and you're not I don't getting think a, you're not getting excited about what's happening
0: I disagree I thought that that part there made me, my stomach turn. It really did. It well, made well, my stomach
1: turn. I don't mean to minimize the impact of what's going on in the video. What I mean is that you're not getting the storybook approach that the sheriff's giving you as to what happened, you're having to sort of decide for yourself what's going on. There could be questions, what's he doing, why are they there, why did they put him in this place, why are they taking him there, how come there's seven guys on top of him. Those are all fair questions and questions that deserve a, a, a conversation and that's why you and I are
0: here. Uh, I have one question here and this is going to be a good one, uh, you are you an expert on this case?
1: Yes. Well, you're talking about on the civil case? No. No. I was an expert on the case that has been concluded with the
0: release of it. With the release of it, your job. Yeah. Have you been called to be an expert on this case? I
1: haven't, and I wouldn't take it at this point. Okay, I I would just... I I, I would recuse myself uh, any
0: further involvement
1: because I've had too many conversations about this, and the objectivity is on is already been uh, sort of you know as an expert
0: though don't you have feelings i mean i I don't mean i know you have feelings don't you have opinions besides that 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 analytical opinion uh yes so there you know you have to sort of bifurcate your brain a little bit
1: because there are certain things that and i get asked this in court well what would you do and i say it doesn't matter what i do i'm hired as an expert Um, An expert, as much as possible, needs to divest themselves of the emotional, empathetic component and look at, did we do it right?
0: Okay, now you're not the expert on this case. Now I'm asking you as Roy Bedard, guy I'm starting to get to know, real nice guy, really very intelligent, uh, obviously well qualified, what's your personal opinion on this case? First of all, I
1: don't think I'll be able to escape the expert role. This video could show up in civil court, so I'll be cautious on how I answer. Um, my opinion on this case is there's a lot of things that the the deputies uh, didn't do right I have written about those in my report it's available I think online for the public to read I talk we're gonna
0: put a link in there uh, I talk about about
1: policy issues I talk about um, manufacturer recommendations about things that the sheriff's office did and didn't do and I think I tell a complete story objectively Um, it is sad to watch what happens by the way to anyone who ends up um, succumbing to treatment by the criminal justice system. But again, I remind you, this begins back at the Walmart parking lot, um, and it and it ends as he's going out the double doors at the Bavard County Jail. There's a lot of things to, to feel bad about, a lot of things that you pound the desk and say, why are you doing this, why are you, he, you know, and so those are my personal feelings about it, is that a lot of things were done wrong from the inception, when the when West Melbourne was first called to the delivery into the ambulance and um, and it's a tragedy and I deal with tragedy I, I have you know tragedy delivered to me on a daily basis like most people eat breakfast um, and this is a very very tragic case for a lot of different reasons partly what happened partly who uh, mr. Edwards was um, partly uh, based on uh, the, the contribution of the staff to the um, the, the circumstances that we can see unfolding in front of us, partly to the after effects, the way the sheriff handled it, um, and, and it goes on. There's just a lot of tragedy in this.
0: Here's a question for you, and it is. Do you give classes to law enforcement leadership on how to handle a situation like this? I do. I was doing it uh, actually through the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. It was a uh, public
1: information course called Managing the Middle, where we talk about uh, public relations between the media and law enforcement. We talk about how to properly shape information. I do that too, I mean, that's and why I asked um, you.
0: yes, and, and how to communicate with either c- uh, communities of color or uh, lower economic status, or even high and high-profile cases. Yeah. Those were
1: mean? our more advanced courses. When you start getting into some of the community niches, I think they're critically important. But obviously, as I told you, training has become the necessary evil in law enforcement, and so that takes a lot of time. Um, I don't think we're, I don't think we do it very well. I think across the board in law enforcement, we're still learning. There was a day when law enforcement would say no comment, and we've at least got them to not do that anymore. But we have another situation in law enforcement that we've never had before, and that is the um, development of technology. We've never had incidents caught on cam- on somebody's cell phone camera and dumped to YouTube before we can even analyze it internally. So we are in a, in a tight you know, uh, situation trying to come up with how we answer the public about things that we don't even fully understand yet. And here's what I know. If law enforcement officers don't answer those questions, they'll find somebody that will. And that's unfortunately what happened with this case is that the sheriff's department was giving a, a story from the, from the front end that we know wasn't exactly accurate. It's just too unusual for a person to go walking into the jail and to be wheeled out only to die a day later. Something's wrong and we don't know what. So what we need is our administrators to be more mindful of the impact of that, to say, okay, we need to show what happened. And we're seeing more of that, by the way. Now we're starting to see law enforcement agencies, when somebody is you know, accused of wrongfully shooting a person, for example, that evening it comes out, you actually see, oh.
0: Yeah, but the George Floyd case took two days to get arrested. I mean, a video that was horrific.
1: I didn't say we were good at it. Oh. We're, <laughs> start, we're starting to see it happen. We're okay, yeah, I get you it that.
0: Happen. Do you believe cops should have body cameras? Yes. That's a pretty straight answer. I also
1: talk a little bit about the, and I should say this, um, body cameras are not a complete uh, set of evidence of what happened. They can be very deceptive because you're looking at a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional world.
0: But if you had more cops there, you might get that three-dimensional world. if
1: If you're fortunate enough to have multiple angles and things like that, then you're going to get a more accurate representation. But, but they
0: can't hurt. They, they can't hurt. I mean, you got a, a person way. Uh, putting a video camera, uh, like me. If I saw a situation right now, I'd probably pull out my phone. In fact, I teach my audience, if you get pulled over by the cop, there's no reason you can't be on your own phone doing whatever you're doing so, so people can hear. So they can hurt
1: if they're misinterpreted. Right? If the video suggests, if it's that sleight of hand kind of thing that magicians use, if it suggests something happened that you know didn't, um, and yet it is sold as that did happen because the video makes it look like it happened, then you've got a problem. Let me give you a good example. Hollywood has exploited this, right? If you've ever seen a fight in the movies, you know they're not really punching each other. But when you change the direction of the camera, it sure looks oh, like sure you does. are. Yeah. So what's happening is you've taken a three-dimensional world height, and width and depth, and you've minimized depth. You never see two people fight from the side. You always see them fight with the back of one in the face of the other because we can eliminate sure. the depth. And if you can react in good timing, it can. I can sell that to you as you actually being hit. That is an example of how cameras can deceive. And and it, it in in terms of Hollywood, it's done intentionally. But sometimes it happens unintentionally because you have the wrong angle because you don't have the right lighting, things like that. And so we have to be very careful about that. And by the way, that's why experts come in, is to is to sometimes recreate, I had an incident down in Nevada with a police officer that shot at a vehicle that was being looked at strictly from a two-dimensional perspective. And I was able, through software, to recreate the third dimension and show that, in fact, this officer was in front of the car for at least the time period they started firing. And consequently, that third dimension allowed the officer to be exonerated from a criminal charge but it
0: all but it also gives that another piece of the puzzle when larry lawton has interaction with a cop and ends up at the jail and he's got black eyes and they say oh he hit his head or he fell darn thing and there's a now there's no video how do you
1: you know i I often tell i like video let me just be on record
0: yeah and let me give you the I had a very long conversation with the chief of police of Bombay and now they're getting video cameras and he was reluctant at first and then multiple people came out and I had a very long comment I'm a very good friend and he's a great great uh, police chief I said let me tell you why I would never work in a police department didn't have a camera because a good camera could protect the cop and let me give it a, a little bit scenario uh cop rolls up on a 711 at 2 in the morning and there's two kids there and they and one kid going in he has a gun and he uh, and he he has the gun and he points the gun at the cop the cop gets out says drop the gun drop the gun doesn't drop the gun he's about to shoot he shoots the kid the kid goes down the gun falls down the other kid picks up the gun and runs away now you have a dead kid and a cop saying he had a gun where's the gun if there's no video, the public's gonna believe he killed that kid at two exactly. in the morning. And if he does have a video, it's a clear cut case of a justifiable shooting. So why wouldn't you, why would you be a cop today without a camera to protect from a person saying, Hey, you he called me a racist or you did this or whatever it was and you have a camera. It protects good cops. I always think that. I, agree I always believe with you.
1: that. Um and, and the thing is, the public has grown accustomed to using them. It's now gotten to the point where if you don't have one, that appears to be a cover-up, because everyone has them. I, I, absolutely. Um, it's not true, by the way. I should get on record and tell you that a lot of agencies still don't have them. Again, they're resource-oriented. Some agencies don't have them. I think the in today's
0: world, it. you'll get a grant for it. And I work with the cops. It's called Community Day these, Service.
1: You have to go to some of these small agencies that don't have grant writing that have four people on staff and still end up killing somebody, and then we'll talk about it. They don't have the resources <laughs> to it. But they, they, they can get the resources. They, well, perhaps if they if they try, but they don't have them and they don't see how to get them. They struggle with management sometimes struggles. I mean, I do these cases all over the country. I can okay. tell you that there are a lot of there are a lot of police management, especially when you talk about elected officials, sometimes they don't even have a background in law enforcement. So I mean they're they're limited in what their resources are because they don't even know how to get
0: them. Right? Well, let me tell them right now. Anybody watching this, cops, it's called community oriented policing services, a federal agency. I work with them. Uh, with the and they will give grant money for cameras in about a thirty seconds if you
1: write an effective grant
0: so they've been doing that that was part of the problem they come about with that you know that right right we are at least
1: they used to we are getting to the point where everyone is having a camera and i think we're just a little shy of that but there's still a lot of agencies i don't believe that you'll find you know, and I'm not sure of this, an agency that wouldn't prefer them at this point. At first, we didn't really know where this There's was going.
0: There were still cop. The sheriff here says he, if he had the money, and he has the money, he wants emergency money, he says if they got more money, he will not t- use it towards cameras. I, 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 it boggles my mind why uh, an agency that size would not have cameras. Well, because of what I first
1: said, because sometimes they realize that cameras don't don't tell the truth. They just preserve the record. There's a difference. Telling the truth means understanding what you're seeing on the video. Cameras are great at preserving the record. They can tell you what time something happened. They can tell you how long that something took. They can tell you some of the more gross features of the event like whether or not the kid dropped the gun and his friend ran off with it. Those are all preservation of record. But what actually was you were you actually standing where the camera suggests you were standing? Was that person actually as big
0: as the camera suggests? Everyone but says, you're talking oh. to one camera. Domain. What happens if the store had a camera? What if they don't? What if you're uh, I, 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 we can get it to every but, situation but, in the world. You can go on an island and say there's nothing there. What I'm saying is for the
1: sheriff who says, look, I am going to err on the side of caution. I'll assume there's only one camera. I'm not having any of them. There's that argument. Um, if the store has a camera, if there's 12 people there, we can get a pretty good representation, a more accurate representation of a three-dimensional world. But I think a lot of people um, are are worried that the camera might be misinterpreted more than they don't want to preserve the record.
0: Obviously, don't police, you think some of them want to hide with the with sure, the inept, sure. ineptitude think, of either the people? There or
1: are, yes, I think there are scandalous individuals out there that try to hide things that they do. Um, I'm, you know, I've I've got a crusade against them. That's why I get hired as an expert. I testify against law enforcement. When at times I testify for them at times
0: we're gonna have a whole conversation on on that no because because your expertise is deep I could sit and talk to you for two hours yeah we talked about this incident and you know the conclusions I'm trying to make I I personally tell people I don't know if there was intent by anybody there to kill someone I don't believe so but I mean that's just my from what I watched but I believe there was such I guess policy violations or things that went wrong that we could have prevented a death and I hope this lady gets as many millions of dollars as she can get. Because I don't think you could put money on losing a father. Uh, you know, kids growing up. And I don't know if you know this, or they lost another child in I a do pool. That, yeah. and, and it's it's tragedies all it's around. A tragedy. It, it really is. And, and I don't know if money can help it, but I hope... You may be a little bit hopeful that you said the sheriff changed his policies that you know of. I'd love to look at the policies, I don't know if they're public, to, to see if he put everything they you should just be. said.
1: They should be. I don't know
0: if he put everything I just
1: said in there, but the policies have definitely um, prevented the, the kind of incident that we saw happening with Mr. Edwards from happening again. Um, you know, the nuances, the details, did they follow policy, did they do it right? I mean, unfortunately, the future holds the answers to that but the policies have been changed um, because they recognize that there were some things that were done incorrectly. And and by the way, law enforcement is a living laboratory. It happens to us all the time where we discover, ooh, we thought we got it right. Now the real world has gotten in the way and showed us we're not doing it right, so we change things. By the way, that's prudent. That's, that's exactly what you know, what well, we
0: but doing. But what makes me worry about what you just said is, you're a laboratory, so why wouldn't you take every, like, listen, they did just, the coronavirus, they did everything in the world to make it right, or whatever they're doing, they're trying to do whatever it is, and we're six feet apart. Uh, my point is, uh, why doesn't law enforcement use every resource at its thing and try to become better instead of just becoming an us against them mentality? By, and I blame law enforcement for that. You by do, the way, that. I
1: think they do. I think if you're going to say. Uh, with with exception, they do that. That is how law enforcement operates. They do try to learn from each other. We are now a network. We're able to see each other's videos as they happen. Uh, the rest of the world. Then
0: why well. isn't there a national policy for cameras? That's that's a good question.
1: Because well, I, you no, know, you say really that. Now, let me tell to you. Uh, uh, and and you like a, I don't believe it's money. Because, because there's no such thing as a national. Well, that's not true. Law enforcement, in, they America, IACP, law enforcement yeah. in America is decentralized, and Americans want it that way. We're afraid of a culmination of power. We've seen what history does when you have a national law enforcement agency. Oh,
0: I, I understand that. You're so right.
1: we try to stay decentralized, but what comes with that? Well, decentralized budgets, decentralized policies. Decentralized uh, values, attitudes, and norms in different parts of the world, or the world and the country, we have decentralization comes with some things that don't allow us to say you and I sitting here, every officer in America should have a camera. Where there is no one that could control that. As a matter of fact, do you know that we don't even know how many people we shoot in America?
0: Yeah, I, I did hear that. Because we're decentralized. Because there's we, no, da, no, no da, there's national no database, right, right, right? right? So
1: by the way, going back to Obama, he started saying, what's going on here? We got to do something about that. And I think there's progress by the DOJ to to come up with one. But how is the federal government going to force a state agency right. to submit data? They don't have that kind of authority over them. If a sheriff says, you're not getting our data, there's not much you can do about it. So that's what's been going on in law enforcement. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. But the decentralization is something we want. Let's face it: um, law enforcement officers in Tallahassee treat people differently than law enforcement officers in Miami. It's a different community. It's completely a different community. Different expectations. People have different values in the in more. You north know, north I, north know north I always
0: south. say, "Listen, I, I'm a believer in the Andy Griffin way. Uh, I I like Sheriff Andy Taylor. I mean, well, this is getting to the social work model. Now, yeah, now you're we're going to get in, We we can't get into that today. Yeah. Okay. I'll but back. we would. I totally want you to come back because I'm a big believer in social policing. I believe in community policing is the only way to police. And law enforcement
1: claims to be as well. And I think we have... They claim well, I think across the board we've made great strides to becoming more community oriented. I think we've been doing that for 30, 40 years. But once again, remember, there's no leader, right? I mean, we have these people that are kind of independent, these agencies independently yeah. moving towards that. Most of them do it right. Some of them don't. And we have to be aware of that. By the way, the big the big events in the country are happening from the ones that perhaps aren't doing it right. But it, it's not necessarily an indictment of all law enforcement. No, no. Yeah,
0: my, my problem with, with, with a lot of what goes on is we don't get the community involved as much. Law enforcement, I I saw a policy in in a local department around here, they're writing new policy. You know who's writing the policy? A a, a police officer. Why isn't a community writing a a guy like myself, an ex-con, who knows how that goes, yourself an expert witness and, and, and law enforcement officer, but a civilian? Yes, a law enforcement officer. Yes, it may be a pastor in the community we have to be more collective you can't keep as a law enforcement agency you need every input you can get you can't be writing the policy yourself saying we're doing it now we got community policing down oh i you need to have the input of the people in it because you just said it. every community is different miami is different than uh uh you know asheville north carolina or a little town or or seminal floor exactly
1: right and I'll tell you I'm gonna give you a little history here in an anecdotal story when 1991 I was the chairman for the Tallahassee Police Department's defensive tactics committee our committee was not made up of just law enforcement officers we had them on there but I also went out and got the president of the ACLU I got a medical doctor I got an attorney I got um, a couple of the reverends locally. Um, I had defensive tactics instructors on there. I had laymen police officers, and we had administrators. We had a very good collection of committee members, if you will, that looked at what we were doing in defensive tactics at the Tallahassee Police Department, and we built our policy around those recommendations. And I should also say that this committee, me in particular, was charged with looking at every use of force that came from the field. There was a time period for several years in the early 90s when the Tallahassee Police Department, I don't know what they're doing today, was looking at every single use of force that came from the field. And we were analyzing it not only based on, oh, my, what went wrong, how do we fix it? But what do we do right? Where do we need more work? What are we teaching our police officers that they're not doing? Because we're wasting resources, right? You
0: you know why you said, boy, I love that. And here's why. No matter what law enforcement says, they work for me. I pay taxes. I want a police department that wants to help me, protect me, and I help and support them in doing it, and I do it in a big way. But until they get it out of their heads that it's not, oh, it's our way. No, you work for me. Yep. I am your end goal. You know, as a business as a businessman and a YouTuber, my end goal is my my, my viewers, and I know that. So I have to give them content that they want your end goal is your customer whatever it is in your business whatever whoever you're doing it and my end goal, uh, and a police officer's end goal should be the citizen and helping the community not no it's our way and that's it and until we get away from that and we get leaders and law enforcement who understand that i think you're gonna have a lot of problems uh, or problem but i do think it's getting better i will give i, I will give you that I think some of the bigger departments have, have said that and, and they've changed their ways a little yeah. bit, but there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go,
1: and I think right now there are things that are happening, and I think even the public sometimes contributes to this in a way that they don't understand. But you know, for example, rushing to judgment and until we actually know the facts. But you know
0: what? You know, well, I, I, I got to push back on you because you say rushing to judgment. The, the best thing these people here and, and most communities here is, all right, we'll let you know it's under investigation. The cops under investigation where Larry Lawton did the same exact thing, Larry Lawton sitting in jail or bonding out, where the cop is, oh, we're gonna do an investigation and nothing, you're being treated differently. I think the communities wanna be treated the same, Roy. Let me finish with the thought. Oh, um, sorry, I jumped answer, in there. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's, this is passion.
1: Balance, um, but the point I'm making is let's at least understand what happened. Let's not operate off a of rumor, and that's starting to happen. Agreed. I think a lot because of social media in particular. There are rumors being passed around that are inciting people, activist-minded people, who say, "I got to do something about this." When in fact they don't even understand what happened. The, the unfortunate thing, by the way, this is America. I mean, we're a country based on revolution. I get all that, and I don't even. I'm not even so bothered by that. But what it causes is the law enforcement folks to circle the wagons. It's a natural reaction. They feel as if they're under attack. They haven't even got investigators on the ground yet they don't know what happened and yet here they are being attacked, being accused of things that we don't know what happened. So there has to be some balance in the mind of the activists who, by the way, like me, want good law enforcement. I'm not accusing them of anything insidious or
0: No, either improm- am I
1: actually. I'm just saying that if we, if we want to push law enforcement or continue to push them into an area to where they do circle the wagons um that's almost a normal natural reaction under the circumstances then keep doing what you're doing don't don't wait for the truth to come out don't wait for the story to be known just make assumptions based on rumor and and it, it's not going to get better Larry.
0: so but don't you but don't you think the police should be treated just like a citizen in what respect okay how many times have i watched on tv a cop get suspended for doing something Okay, I'll give you a great example. Here was a cop who went off-duty, went into another cop's house, killed the person, wasn't arrested, was under investigation. Why is he being treated any different than a regular person? You're getting into another area
1: Uh, that I I want to talk about because I do a lot of of stand your ground cases. And there is such a terrible double standard when it comes to investigating law enforcement officers who have used deadly force and invest investigating citizens, I've been in court talking about this till my face is blue. We don't treat them the same, and we should. So the question to is, in what respect do you mean should we should treat them? Obviously. Law enforcement officers are empowered to do things that other people aren't able to do. I mean, they are legally allowed to take lives under under given circumstances. Colorful. But with Stand Your Ground, so are citizens. We no longer have to run until our back is against the wall. We can stand our ground and we can use deadly force when the situation dictates. By the way, not every citizen is trained on how to do that and cops are, so there should be a higher standard for law enforcement officers. There's not. There's a lower standard. And that's an entirely different conversation, but I think to your question, that's the best example of how we treat citizens and police differently. In some respects, law enforcement officers should be treated differently. They should be held to a higher standard than the average citizen because they are trained, they are on the clock, they are mission-oriented. Most people are not any of those things. Um, And so we have to view them from the perspective of this is your job, did you do your job right? Right? Whereas a citizen, we get into more of the moral questions, did you act correctly based on the way that the society thinks we ought to act? So there's a little bit different treatment, but when it comes to things like the use of deadly force, which is I think where your example is, then we have to start, we have to break down the double standard of how we investigate law enforcement versus how we investigate citizens, and if anything, provide citizens with a lower bar, not a higher one because law enforcement officers are forced, they learn policy, they're forced to abide by policy, they learn state statute, they're forced to abide by state statute. Your average person doesn't know any of those things. They're reacting out of fear. They're reacting out of a, uh, sometimes survival. fear, survival sure. mode, of things like that. By the way, law enforcement does that too. Oh, I mean, no, no, we, no, they no. get no, afraid uh, sometimes. Listen, no, absolutely. Well. If
0: they say they don't, they're lying.
1: Absolutely. So, um, so I think it's a complex answer to a simple question, but in some respects, especially with respect to uh, causing the death of another person, I do think that law enforcement officers need to be viewed differently than they presently are.
0: You know, Roy, I have so many questions for you, and we're going to do another show, because there's a whole thing on law enforcement, our training on what they should pull, you know, again, the guns. We can get into a lot. We're going to uh, another time. What I want to uh, just see, I think in the, in the community-minded way, I always say police will get respect when they start treating, a, when they police themselves. You know, I, I always end, or I do a show when I talk about law enforcement. I say this. Yeah, I have a company. I have four people. I know who's the slacker. If you have a company with 200 people, I ask every CEO, do you know who? Yeah, what do you do to them? We retrain. If we don't like them, we get rid of them. Law enforcement knows who the bad cops are. The people around them know who the bad cops are. The guys who are on tilt. The guys who are bullies, the guy—they know—they know themselves who, who is wrong or bad. I believe that a hundred percent. I agree with you. And if they don't police themselves, how do they expect people to respect their jobs when they want to police me? Another complex
1: question or a complex answer to a uh, question. Uh, you know, Let me tell you the most complex part of it is—I hate to say this—unions. I mean, it's oh,
0: very, I know. Very I, I, I hard. just talked about that last it's night. It's very
1: hard to get rid of police officers who are unionized. Um, which makes, in some cases, the sheriff's office, the late, you know the last great bastion of being able to do the things that you're recommending, because sheriffs are not answerable, typically speaking, to unions. They may have some internal stuff going in, but they, you and know, they, they, they... And they may allow for unions, but they don't have to, but a lot of your municipalities are, are being, you know, uh, wagged around by the unions. So agree. when they 100%. get rid of a police officer, they're actually shooting themselves in the foot, because not only is that officer gonna end up creating civil litigation, they're gonna get their job back, and they're gonna get back pay. So what happens is a lot of these municipalities feel kind of neutered, right? So when somebody does something bad, they kind of, you know, they don't know what to do about it. And this is a whole nother conversation, but I would say that probably it makes up 80% of the question that you have as to why we can't get rid of bad cops. I mean, there are mechanisms in place. I mean, we have police officers. I know when I start going, I won't use Florida because I think Florida is one of the better states, believe it or not when it comes to the system of law enforcement. But when I start going north of here, I won't even mention those states, there are police officers that get fired and the next day are hired at another agency for character crimes. I mean, things like that. And they bounce around. I get some of these cases and this guy's worked in several different agencies over the course of two years. It's unbelievable. Yeah,
0: and not only are you correct on that, I mean, Florida actually has a policy now, I think, that they are supposed to tell the uh, uh a report FDLE. fdl mm-hmm. that a person happens and they maybe decertify him or something like that i don't know but with that said you know roy i want, I want to do a couple of closing things uh for one i want to thank you for coming here uh you're open you're honest you got credentials you do everything the right way uh amazing you really are a great guy and you have great views and, and i'm sure we could sit for hours and hours and we will we're going to do it again uh, what would you like to say to the audience about one this case, maybe, and to your future, your future, uh, positive or negative, at law enforcement?
1: So I am a, I'm a born optimist that's when that's it comes your, to law enforcement. I, mean. um, I think with respect to this case, I think that the uh, attorneys uh, have done an excellent job of representing the people who demanded to see this video. I was happy to Florida be- Florida today. Yeah, I was happy to be a, a part of that because um, I think that transparency is critically important in my line of work in policing. Um, I think we were able to get to the bottom of it. We were able to let people draw their own opinions and their own conclusions on what they think happened. I would caution people to um, stay resilient about the way they think about what happened because there are a lot of things that we are unsure of. This is moving into the civil court and there'll be more information that is forthcoming, stuff that I wouldn't comment on because I'm not hired for that nor do I want to be hired for those particular cases, but some expert will be hired. But in terms of the bigger picture of law enforcement, I think I would tell your viewers that um, I mentioned it once, we're a living laboratory. Things are changing very rapidly, not only for society but for law enforcement. We're dealing with things we never dealt with before. But I think those aren't bad things. I think those are good things. But um, we, along the way, will stumble. We will make mistakes. We will hopefully have uh, administrators and and, uh, executives who will correct those mistakes. We'll show some humility. We'll be able to say we screwed up and we'll make it right, and we won't do it again. That's the best that we can hope for. We are a social science. We don't always have the right answers, Um, but we try, I hope, to do the right thing. And when we find people who don't try to do the right thing, we get rid of them quickly. It's expedient, and we don't have to deal with the repercussions of um, keeping them on board because of outside forces. We're able to draw our, um, uh, we're able to clean our own house, if you will, with the idea in mind that we're gonna get better at this. We're gonna form a more perfect organization through um, uh, uh, constant oversight and through um, using discipline and through um, assuring that the rules are carried out equitably and they're carried out properly. And uh, I expect that I won't be unemployed anytime soon, by the way, um, because there's, just turn on the television set and you'll probably see my next case. (laughs) Um, there, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Remember that law enforcement officers um, represent about 800,000 workers in the United States. Yeah, it was not, near a million. I'm I not asked. talking corrections, oh. I'm talking just law enforcement who are working 24 hours seven days a week. That's a lot of police contacts. You're hearing about very, very few of them. Law enforcement officers generally don't use a lot of force. Um, It's in the less than one percentile. When they do use force, it very rarely results in any injury and it almost never, it's negligible, results in death. But what you see on TV are the death cases. And so it gives you sort of the impression that law enforcement's out of control. But when you look at the statistics of it, it's just not true. Um, and to just sort of weather your opinion, not to change your opinion, but to weather it that, sort of step back when you're looking at police-involved conduct and say, okay, this could be an aberration. This doesn't have to be representative of all law enforcement. So don't let your mind get sort of curtailed into thinking that it is. But that, that also means you know, remain vigilant Let's hold law enforcement officers accountable for what they do. Don't throw your hands in the air and say, well, it's not really a problem. That's not the right answer either. But to make sure that you are viewing things as objectively and as um, truthfully as you possibly can. Don't let yourself be dissuaded by politics, by somebody who's telling you what you're going to see, who is going to tell you what you're looking at, and who is going to tell you what you saw. Remain objective to that. Talk to your friends. Talk to people in the know. Do your research. You know all the things that are available to us that weren't 40 years
0: ago, 30 years ago,
1: um, and and, uh, and you know and, and stay active.
0: You know, I want to thank you, and, and uh, I'll, I'll just to close on that. Yes, but there are enough incidents out there, and especially communities of color, there is a definitely disparity from certain communities. Uh, That's good a good conversation. It. Yeah, it's a whole nother conversation. Uh, I want to thank Roy for having come here speak to me for a few hours and believe me i could speak to him forever uh he has the same goals as mine uh break down at us against mentality with communities and police and also help young people you know make the right choices i'm a believer in that you know that i don't believe we should be judging people there's only one judge and it's not me and it's not roy and it's not anybody i know and it's not the sheriff so I think he's right. We should all, all need to stay vigilant. We all need to stay updated. You know, watch multiple news. Don't watch one. Don't get into a, a habit of doing that. And that, that'll, that'll corrupt your mind as well. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for watching. Again, thanks to Roy Bedard. His link is in our uh, description below. Check this podcast out everywhere. And uh, we're going to have another uh, uh, conversation with him on, on law enforcement in general. And not just this case. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe and make good choices.